<laughs> that, that was that was the yeah, you, you made a, a goofball hey everybody welcome to the real 45 podcast we are your hosts here greg hancock and you and stefan yunel stefan yunel welcome back <laughs> how are you my friend thank you i'm good thank you i mean uh, no snow outside ever not been any snow at all in sweden uh, no, you didn't get anything this last week? Yeah, maybe. No, you can't say that it was, it was nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, right. Because I, I thought you were going to make a, you know, act like you were a liar there. And I, you know, I've never known you to no. be a liar. So I didn't, don't change my perspective of the saint that you are. I, I think I, I, you know, scratched the, the window of the car the, from ice, like 15 times this winter, maybe. Oh, man, that's that's crazy. You know how many times I've had to scrape mine? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> I don't want to hear that. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I had to say it. I had to walk you you walked me into it, so I wasn't going to give you the pity of, <laughs> of oh man, that sounds bad, or that's not that many times. It was just I haven't had to scrape mine at all, so uh, you're you're getting closer to me. <laughs> yes. Hey, um, hey, before we started uh, recording here, we were having a little chat. What about this coronavirus? How crazy is this, man? It's totally crazy. It's. Um... Uh, yeah, I don't know how to describe it actually. As it is, is it as wild over there in Sweden as it is here? Like people emptying out the stores with all the supplies and things like that. Yeah, yeah, you can see it on the news. But in Utelli, where I live, it's still not that crazy at all. Uh, but it, it's getting closer. It, it's amazing. And I think that it's yeah. yeah I saw that. I think in Sweden, it's it was for one week ago. I think it was one person that got infected, and now it's nineteen. So it's not that many people if you look at it in perspective. But it gets quite fast from zero to. I don't know how to explain it in in English, but the ex- yeah, right. I hear you. The percentage, yeah. the way it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I, yeah, I think like everything kind of gets everybody one worried or concerned and you know about this new virus that no one knows anything about there's no vaccine for it that's obviously people are dying from it sadly and and uh so it it the news and the media really really makes us all be scared and worried and panicked and yet then when you read more about the virus that like it it's uh it's you know it's a new virus and then unless you have some other uh, extravagant health issues or, or crazy health issues, most people recover from it without any real trouble. But, but if you've got some other ailments going on or, or you know, specific people of elderly age that are, might be prone to having a weak immune system, then it's it can attack and, and get the better of you like the flu. But um, it yeah. still, still makes you worry, you know, because you just, I, I don't want to get it. I don't want to test my immune system. <laughs> <laughs> me neither <laughs> absolutely not and, but uh, I think it's still the craziness around the uh, the virus that's that's scary if yeah. if uh, companies are closing down and people are getting home and 
the economy and yeah, the stores are draining out their uh, their stock and yeah, things like that. Scary, man. Do you um do you believe in conspiracy theories? I don't. Oh, okay, gosh, I thought I was gonna walk you right into a cool conversation there. Uh, okay, I, I, I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I always, I've, I've, I said to Jenny, I'm like, hey, think about it. All this trade war with the U.S. and China and the world and all these things going on, you know, and it's like everything's supposed to be getting ironed out and getting better, and then this virus just suddenly, suddenly shows up out of nowhere, and it's like shuts down everything in China, shuts down, you know, so now the world is not able to get their production, manufacturing done because of it all. So is there more to this story that we're just getting messed with? <laughs> yeah, it's probably uh, a higher level of this because it's too much people that are living on the earth and actually taking the resources from the earth and then we need to just get rid of some so we can fix it. Right? <laughs> it <doesn't... laughs> so you do believe in conspiracy theories? <laughs> no, I have my own. Okay. I, that, that's not a conspiracy. It's, it's, it's for real. <laughs> I just created my own. <laughs> yeah. No. Yo, I, I don't know. But Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, anyway. Enough of that. That's not what this podcast is about. We hope that everybody survives the coronavirus and we can get rid of this thing and, and move on with life as we know it. So that's uh, fingers crossed that uh, yeah, the disease yeah, centers and stuff are going to fix it. And let's move on to this rad episode with the one and only, the little ghost, as he was referred to as a kid, my old buddy, Lance King. Lance King, the ghost. Why is that? He's the little ghost. And oh, so you have a big ghost too. There's a big ghost too, and I I can't really I don't really want to say, but there was a there was another uh, there's another writer. People that know mm-hmm. the story will know this, but you have to listen to the podcast to get the whole story. But Lance was a protege of the big ghost, the main ghost, the ghost, and uh, he's the little ghost. And I mean, to the day, my dad still refers to Lance as the little ghost. Hey, how's the little ghost doing? And. Uh, I, I managed to catch up with Lance uh, in my travels. I was actually doing, uh, he invited me to join him on a project in in uh, Chicago uh, just a few weeks ago, or a couple weeks ago. And um, so I, everywhere I go, I've got I've got our podcast equipment with us. Huh? So I'm, now I'm just, it does, you don't always get a, the interview, but you think if I've got it here, there's no excuse why we can't just press record and do a podcast with, with somebody of interest, you know, and... Uh, I love to talk to people, as I think you're pretty good at it, too. And there's, I caught up with Lance in a hotel room in, in downtown Chicago, and we sat down, and we had the most in-depth interview that we had to cut off. So you couldn't be with me, obviously, because of the time difference and, and uh, trying to make it work. But I, just, I didn't want to, I tried to get Lance to join us for, for, since we started this podcast, and I can never mm-hmm. get him. But I got him, and he's got an interesting story. You've got to listen to some of it already, right? Yeah, absolutely, I did. Uh, What's your impressions? So it's 
it's really cool and he is quite open or or honest i don't know how to explain it it's really interesting to to just listen to the story yeah as a motorcycle racer you know he grew up as a motorcycle rider or actually cars and bikes but like you say we talk a lot about it in the beginning of it about our relationship and and speedway as we know it and and how we got together and maybe we drug on a little bit too long in the beginning but it was uh, i got off on a tangent and i i get so excited because lance played such a pivotal role in my career so uh i almost took over the conversation to talk about how impressed i was with getting all the you know information and, and uh education from him that eventually we got rolling and like you said, he's he's a really interesting guy, and he's got he calls it as it is. He's a way more calm, mellow, uh, communicative person today than he was back in the day, as he was so hardcore. But, oh, uh, yeah, he he was really he was really hardcore, and you know he took his racing very very serious, and and in my opinion, sometimes it was so serious that it got the better of him. You know that. If things didn't go that way, it could be, it was just, you know, he could really beat himself up. And then he would, um, you know, it always questions, for me, this questions your your upbringing and your livelihood and who who taught him the, you know, the, the, that winning feeling and how to deal with, with defeat and all that kind of stuff. So the relationship with his dad was pretty gnarly too, right? True. Yeah. That's an interesting part of the or the podcast that needs to be listened like twice for me that's not that don't have the english as a mother or a native mother. language language yeah mother tongue yeah for sure i mean his dad was yeah. so his dad is such a clever dude and and such you know a fabricator uh, you know with engines he's just in, insane so he was really good to teach and lance and everything but um you know he could also was you know they had their regulations and what have you but the relationship all throughout life, you know, back and forth, and and um, yeah, you have to listen to it. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting because it makes you, it makes you uh, understand. You know, our upbringing has a lot to do with the, the person we turn out to be, right? So, True, absolutely. However, we can all, uh, we can all. Lance is a living proof of we can all change our our ways if we want or to be a, a different person. I can't say better or worse. Uh, but just to to fit into the society that we want, and um, he's he's proof of that. And and you gotta enjoy, you gotta listen to this. It's really really cool. And it we turned it into a uh, a series because it was so long, and there's so much information that about him and his, the car racing, the Hollywood movie production company with his sister. I mean, the guy has done some crazy crazy stuff. It's, uh, yeah, and, and uh, hopefully there will be more uh, coming from home from him. Yeah, there, for sure, right? It was, yeah. it was fun. He's 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 an interesting guy, and um, I'm really excited that we we managed to make this happen. So listen, uh, listen up, enjoy this podcast with the little ghost, Lance King. And uh, we'll leave it like that, everybody. Stefan, you and I will be yeah. back soon for another exciting podcast. Absolutely.
And for now, you just make sure you keep your window scraped. Yes, and uh, I'm actually looking forward to the next one. Again, this is so fun that we actually started to, to record this again after our little pause. After our break. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, we are back and we're loving it and um, we've got lots of fun ahead of us. So, uh, you guys, thank you for listening to the podcast. Stefan, I miss you, man, and I will see you soon. Yeah, same to you. Enjoy Lance King, everybody. See you next time. You're listening to the one and only Real 45 Podcast. We talk about life, racing, and getting sideways. Hey, every day is a new day. How hard can it be? And now, your hosts are in the building. Greg Hancock and Stephen Junell. Lance King, how long have I talked about this? Kai, cup. Guy, couple years. When did you first start him? It's been, yeah, it has been about two years. Is that yeah. when you started doing them? Yeah, it has to be. I think this is bad because we don't have Stefan with us right now. Or Johnson. Because, or Johnson, right? <laughs> he would know. He would know because we've been giving him pretty much a lot of shit, or at least I've been giving him a lot of shit for a lot of years because he doesn't, he won't listen to the podcast. Right. Until. I'd make a podcast with you. Right. So we'll see if that holds true. Yeah. So right now this is like the deciding factor. If if we win over Johnson's <laughs> approval of my podcast, because he's not listened to one yet. And uh, for all of you out there who don't know who Johnson is, you should know who Johnson is because he knows who you are. <laughs> he's Mr. Knowledge. Andy Johnson, my longtime buddy, actually our mutual friend, longtime buddy, mine and Lance's. And uh, Andy, as many you've heard, uh, Stefan and I talk about our our bike, our charity bicycle ride that we've done over the years, which Lance has been a part of. Also, actually made the trip over to Sweden just to take a bicycle ride with us for hundred kilometers. So I mean, that's what people do for fun, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. you just go around the world, book a trip to Sweden, <laughs> <laughs> take your take your wife or your fiance with you, and say, yeah, let's go ride bikes for hundred kilometers for Andy Johnson, and he wasn't even there. Right. So I mean, and it still didn't mean as much than when he was there participating. I know, right? right. I mean, you do the things that we we do in honor of him, or in his honor, or however you want to put it. Like he got us started with all this. Yep. That's what we just have. We got to give him shit because he gives us shit. So anyway, Lance, welcome to the Real Forty Five podcast. Thank you for having me. We are sitting here in on the twenty third floor of the Marriott Hotel in Chicago in the middle of winter. I guess it's kind of the middle of winter, but... Uh, it I'm, seems like the middle of winter compared to Phoenix or Southern California. With obviously, we're looking out the window and there's quite a bit of snow on the ground. Yes, there is quite a bit of snow and uh, I've been fortunate to, to be able to join you uh, or say be invited by you to do some some different car jobs and different work and stuff you've been doing around the country over the last over the last six months really and uh, almost the last year from when I first started yeah I just went and kind of visual visualized one one event that you were doing and came it for me it came at really good timing because I was you know we were home with Jenny and taking care of all her stuff and 
and uh, there was times when it was it was it was a good time. I needed to get out of the house. She wanted me to get out of the house. <laughs> you know, she wanted. Yeah, I think that's more, the most of it. Probably most of it. So maybe she called you and said, "Hey, Lance, have you got anything that Greg can do with you?" <laughs> <laughs> I'll never say. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. It's good. You're a good man. So uh, no, I'm I'm still grateful to you for for that. You know, giving me the opportunity to just get out see the world a little bit different. I haven't really seen as much of the U.S. as I have of Europe. I get to hang out with you, which we don't get that much time together. We seem to get more and more time as we get a little bit older. We seem to be right, able to, right. to spend more time together, whether we take a bike ride for, for Andy or we take a bike ride for ourselves. Yep. And um, for me, it was this was really cool. So I'm stoked to be able to, to have something and have a little bit of work and something just to kind of, um, uh, yeah, you gives you it gives you meaning gives you life gives you something to do and it kind of gives you the opportunity to um, get out and get busy again yeah and, and hopefully I'm, I'm all glad that that one you know what you appreciate it and and that's cool and that's not why I did it obviously I wanted to hang out with you and two you know it's four wheels and I don't <laughs> think you've done a whole lot with fourth four wheels and I'm sort of I'm glad that you uh, like the challenge and and you know for you it's a guy it's a completely different world right from from as far as back as I've known you which is single digits of your age to now which is double digits yeah yeah quite yeah. a bit yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been <laughs> it's been 100% two wheels so it's sort of cool to to see you being in, getting involved with four wheels, um, and uh, we'll see where it leads to. That'll be fun. Absolutely, and and how this all like worked out, you know, it just turned out just to be some things to do on the side and to do for fun, and um, you know, all the time I had other things going on, but here we are, just a couple of days out of me announcing my my departure from competitive racing. And uh, a fun fact for you. Yeah. Which it clicked as I started to, when I put all this together, and I think it was Andy made some comment to me one day, and then I just suddenly, it, it didn't click to the date that I actually decided I was going to officially say I'm not going to ride anymore. You know, they made that decision. It came on Valentine's Day. It was released on Valentine's Day, and I was like, I don't, somebody made it, the comment to me, like, what a thing to do on Valentine's Day. And I was like, whoa you know as as hard of a decision as it was you know you're like i just what a thing to do to your love right <laughs> must have made jenny kind of what, what's this all about <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you you don't really realize to me all the days sort of blend together at this point you know uh but yeah that is interesting right super interesting but that's not the actual fun fact that i was going uh. to that one just came my first year leaving the U.S. to take on a professional international career. Was Valentine's Day? No, it was in May. <laughs> oh, so okay. was, that, that one didn't work out, yeah. <laughs> but this is, this is kind of weird, but it was with you. Right. And my last day that I decided to hang up the suit from competitive racing, I'm with you. Wow, that is And weird. I was like, holy, this is weird. That is interesting, right? Mm -hmm. What are the odds? What are the odds? That's crazy. So that came to me on the night when I, I landed here, on the night that this 
I made the decision and, and put it out in the public and I landed here in Chicago and that's when I said to you when I got here and my flight was delayed and everything and I got into the hotel here and I was like I gave I think I gave you our dude are we going we were gonna podcast that night. Right, right. And that's what I was thinking on the way here and then it all came to me on this whole thing. I'm like, Oh my god, this is wild. Rad, we're gonna do a podcast tonight. I'm gonna bring this up. And then I ended up being late and you were off to bed when I got back here, I'm like Dang, so I gotta remember this so I don't forget to talk about this when we start the podcast. So, yeah, pretty rad. That is that is very cool. So I just very I cool. just did an interview with uh, Peter Oaks and the Speedway Star, which will come out this week. So by the time this podcast reaches everybody, it will probably already be common news. But I even mentioned that to Peter Oaks. I said, "Check this out, Peter." And I said, "I'm just gonna do a podcast with." with uh, Lance, you know, and I was, I'm, I was still kind of all over the place emotionally trying to like, oh man, you know, because I'm getting so many cool messages and oh, it's just, yeah. it's I rad. bet you're flooded with, with, with constant messages and fans and, and I mean, God, you've had a, a hell of a career, you know? It's been awesome. It's yeah. been really awesome. So I can't, uh, I can't say anything bad about it except that if I could do it all again, I probably would and do even more. <laughs> You know, and right. and and just add more, make it more stressful and more gnarly because it was just a blast. Right. And know, and not quit on Valentine's Day. I I don't know. Or <laughs> yeah, we could probably back it up if we really want to put. We could put the blame on Colin Pratt because he didn't he didn't stop his fiddling around. He started his fiddling too probably too late. If he would have started doing it earlier, I could have been in the UK on Valentine's Day, already in the team. There you go. <laughs> so. Colin, he would never fiddle points and stuff. No, no, rider, never. Right? He would know that. So my, looking back on that, you know, uh, this is not, I'm not here to talk about you and I as much as I'm to talk about you, but the fact is that you and I have become, you know, buddies over the years. And, and if, uh, just to finish this off, like I tell everybody, my first year in the UK, I got to live with you. You invited me to come and stay there. And then I got, you know, f leaving home. My dad's, you know, probably going like, wow, okay, this is cool. I know this is what you want to do. I showed up at the airport with, you know, 15 bags or something, whatever it was. Yeah. I remember you looking at me when I showed up like, right. <laughs> and uh, I think he gave me like 1,500 bucks is about all he had or something and that he could afford. And he was like, there you go, man. Good luck. So I went, I left, I, you know, packed up pretty much what I had or what I needed to go racing for the year with my 15 bags. Right. And uh, bikes and so much. You know, back in the day, we had so many cool contacts in the airlines to get all your bags on the flights. Gotta love Maggie. Gotta love Maggie, TWA. She was amazing. She was. And I had, I absolutely did not realize what we had uh -huh. until after my career. And was like, wow, where I'm now paying for most of my own flights and all of that. It's, I would have appreciated that much more. Dude, it, it, much more. She was amazing. The things we take for granted, you know? Yep. And that, like those days of TWA, which were later passed on to, was Andy Frazier? Do you remember Andy Frazier? Andy Frazier was, was British, British Airways? Airways. So he actually went away from British Airways after you left and went to American Airlines. So, and again, these people were guys, people that we met, I met all these guys through you or, or Bobby or somebody yeah. at that, that, Bobby Schwartz at that time. All these guys that you guys were working with over the years and 
you had somebody, we had Maggie over here, right, working for um, TWA, and then I don't remember if there was somebody, was there somebody in the UK that worked for TWA? I don't remember. Or was that... Um, that was British Airways, I think. I, I think that would... Oh. I think. And she... Either that or she took care of it for us over here. I, I don't remember. Or maybe... Was the helmets are better now than they were when I rode. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Look, I can't remember either. <laughs> anyway... That, that was good. So my dad gave me, you know, 1500 bucks or whatever he did at the time. It wasn't much. And um, I took off to go to Europe, 18 years old. I was going to turn 19 later in June that year, or in early in June. I came to your place in early May to start my full career. So I came there and I, I hurt my shoulder right before I left home. I, got, I had a crash on Christian T-bone me. <laughs> and, uh, and so I came over with a, a messed up shoulder or something and and then got hooked up, got a bike together, and you helped me to hook everything up with a, you know, getting my frame and chassis and an engine. I got an engine, I think, the first year just to keep the cost down. And Eddie Bull, you set me up with Eddie, and and everything was dialed. You know, I got to live with you in Tamworth. You had your nice place there, right near the golf course. Yeah. So I, you know, looking back on it and what the kids got to do these days, I had it was like getting the red carpet rolled out for me because I pretty much I walked into. I had my own room. It was just you living there. You had this nice big house, garage, workshop. Like you were set up, right? So I just came in and it was like, okay, figure this out. This is <laughs> going to be rad, you know? And uh, how quickly you became, you know, you, you turned yourself from a boy into a to a man, or you you try to be a man, <laughs> you know? And as much as I told everybody, like you installed the software. That's how I looked at it. Lance Kings installed the software for me. And he pretty much, this is how you do it. And from getting up in the morning to, you know, your, your food and fixing your bikes and your training and your cleaning and your dinners and washing your clothes and getting ready for the races, going to the races. I mean, everything from start to finish, how to set up a workshop, how to set up your bikes, how to take your bikes apart, how to wash them, how to put them, clean them, how to put them back together, serviced, done, dusted, how you loaded them in the car, what you, how you built, I mean, everything. And like to the day, I think I, I still pretty much have at my place in Sweden and how I teach everybody, I do it exactly the same way that you taught me from day one. Wow. So maybe you've uh, installed a few updates over the years. So you had, to, <laughs> you had to modernize certain things to go with the times, but how it works and how you set this up from, from, from start to finish is almost identical to the way you had taught me. Wow, that's pretty cool. So it's really cool. I even have the, the blue and orange bread baskets that I got from the, your, Exactly, from, from my workshop. I still have those on my, yeah. <laughs> awesome. That's how it right. I, I couldn't believe it when, when the first time I visited you in Sweden and walking through your shop and I'm like, those aren't, those aren't. <laughs> and you're like, yep. <laughs> so that's, that's pretty cool. It's really cool. I'm glad, I'm glad because, you know, I mean, that's uh, just who would have known you know I was talking to I was talking to Ken today mm -hmm. and uh, and because he was asking about you and I'm like yeah you know it was interesting when when Greg first came over and and Greg's always that mellow kid and and he's only known you for a short time yeah and I'm like you know think of 
half as mellow back then when you were a kid, <laughs> if not more. And I remember, you know, basically telling you, like, you know, you might have to throw an elbow here and there. And <laughs> are you going to get serious? And 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 I and I go, we've had talks like, you know what, if if you don't start riding a little bit more aggressive or or, you know, you're riding against the best of the world in Britain at that at that time, that's where everybody rode. It's like, man, you're you're not going to make it. You might as well go home. And and he was like some of the best yeah. words that somebody needs to hear. And, and he was like, really? I'm like, yeah. And I go, believe it or not, like, you know, Greg just barely made the first year. And who would have known after that first year how great your career ended up? You know, yeah. I'm like, there's absolutely no one in the world that would have foreseen what was going to come after that first year. But, you know, that's, I think that's somewhat looking back at it. I mean, there's no one that comes over to England and sets the world on fire. Um, they might for brief periods, a week here and a week there. And then you think, oh, man, I got this handled. And then all of a sudden there's a two point night and you're like, oh, no, how is that possible? I thought I had it figured out. So and it's how you rebound, right? Exactly. And it's, it's, uh, uh, there's many Americans that, that, you know, after their first year, it basically their second year is a telltale year of whether they're going to be going up or stay the same. Uh, and, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, wasn't, wasn't so easy. I think being a, an American and in, in, in England at that time, as far as food and, weather and everything that we're not used to, you know, so a lot of adapting. And again, like you said, growing up, I mean, we're sent over here, we're sent over to England when we were, you know, kids and it's like, all right, so now you're alone. Yeah. You have your mechanics to help you. Uh, a lot of us had American mechanics at the, in the start and in the middle, but basically it's yourself. And uh, it's like either grow up or or not or go home, right? So, yeah. That's pretty funny. Like you say that too. So you've just put it kind of even more in a perspective now because I, I always say these days I, I feel sorry for the American guys that come over because they don't, I think, man, they've got it a lot harder than we did. But what you, what you just said there too, like about the food, some of the cultures were different. Obviously the weathers can be anything anyway, but the motorway networks, all the infrastructure, everything. Dude, it was a whole nother ball game oh, back yeah. then, right? Yeah. And these days, and we talk about food because coming from Southern California, you know, we're, we're spoiled for choice, right? We got, you get pretty much whatever you want. We've always, we've been spoiled. Very. So then you go to the UK, it's a different lifestyle, different culture. The foods are different, of course. But there was like, what was there? I think in Tamworth, though, you had a McDonald's. Uh, I remember when the McDonald's went in in Tamworth, and basically that's when the town got put on the map. Right. I mean, that was like huge for the town. I mean, families were, that was their night that they went out to dinner. That was a, a big deal. Oh, that was a night out? That, that was a big deal for our town, and Whoa. it was a big deal for us because, I mean, obviously, Obviously, we ate pretty well as far as healthy and 
working out and all that, but every once in a while it's not bad to have a a burger that tastes like home and what do they say? Or if we get lazy or something. Yeah. <laughs> and when you're a bachelor at that time too, like yeah, you you get lazy and you But you know, it's funny when uh, I was thinking about this the other day of when you said that comment about I think the kids have it rougher now than when we were there and I was thinking about that comment and I'm like I'm I'm putting everything that that I know was was tough for me and then I think about things that like the motorways like you mentioned Mm -hmm. getting around and GPS phones we had no cell phones we had a map I was your best friend and 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 it's I'm just like how did we even we go to Europe we're driving through the continent how did we ever find a track because I can't even imagine it now with with my iPhone I just I'm like just I never know where I'm at I just follow the directions yeah I just couldn't imagine trying to figure everything out with a map but it seemed pretty easy back then because I think that's all you had. That's all you had. You didn't have a choice. But with the motorways now to get around, the food choices, the maps, GPS. Um, yeah. I, I think a lot as far as as far as us guiding some of the riders on their contracts on what they sort of need to to not struggle possibly. Um, not to say we didn't have that guidance, but I think that, that just like anything, the more, the more you're over there, the more like yourself helping the younger riders out like Luke, you know, this use Luke, for example, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's gotta be easier. That's gotta be easier than just go fend for yourself. You know, obviously Bruce schooled me and and gave me a bunch of pointers and I was on his team and I don't know what it would have been like to not have him in the pits with me. And even though I had so many great riders at Crayley that helped, it's, I would always lean on Bruce and, and Mikey. They were, yeah, yeah. those are your, yeah. so, your fellow countrymen. Yeah. And, yeah, and of course, like looking at it like that, you know, you had, that's the other thing I think that the kids today had it why I think they have it harder because back then even when I came to you to England with you I mean there was yourself and then Rick Miller and both the Morans Ermalinko and Corey Fetzing Gary Hicks was there Bobby was team. there not when was, I went Bobby was, was already Bobby done there? by then no he had already retired I think he finished in 85 or 86 or something he retired from UK Cookie was there right he was out but he came back he, he went back and forth a couple times Cookie did but and um, who else? Yeah, I think there was like nine guys or, or yeah, something. Yeah, there was a, there was a few. So and almost Randy Green was he there? Still? Randy, I think might he might have been. Or, because he was racing for Bradford. Maybe, Bobby Ott. Bobby Ott came in there too. So really, no matter where you're racing, to a certain extent, there was always someone even on the opposing team, or yeah. or you and Billy were with Cradley, right? Yeah. So we, and then Billy came the following year, but even then, so right. it got even better, right? Mm-hmm. And then Duke Irmelinko came and 
in the end, then you had like Josh Larson, and you had all these guys. Right. They, there was quite a few of us at one stage. A lot of dudes came, and um, it was rad because there was you had people that you could confer with and and hang out with and share you know good and bad times and help each other all the time. You wanted to be better than the other one. Oh, but, of course. But you you know you almost thrived on when that guy had a bad day, so you wanted to help him out so that you were <laughs> feel a little bit better. You know, so bad. But those were the things that, that were good, those friendly rivalries or fellow countrymen that, that I think helped us to lift each other. And definitely that helped the Americans, in my opinion, even whether anybody would admit it or not. It's hard to admit it, but looking at it, every I think all the American guys, they, they constantly pushed each other's egos, confidence, talent. I mean, lifted. Most of the Americans did pretty and, and then And then, you know, it's... It's interesting that that you're saying that, that I think that's true. On the same sense, I think possibly the English writers did that to a certain extent as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm just using the English writers. Mm-hmm. But when we came together as a team, not one of us was that competitive against each other. It was all for the team. So even though we pushed each other for sure during league matches, during world championship races, during everything, when we came together as a team, we were 100% together as a team. There was no I hope I do better than that guy. I hope, you know, he has a bad race and I do better that I think that some of the other countries possibly had going on. We for some reason and I don't know, I can't put a finger on why I just think that we all of a sudden, and I can only use myself for example, is when I put that flag on my chest and everybody else had that flag on our, on their yes. chest, it yes. was like you were racing for something bigger than us and we were all racing for that flag and it wasn't really personal. because That's why the American team was so I, And dangerous. of course you want to kick butt. Yeah. And... And I'll also be, you know, honest, at the end of the night, after it's all said and done, you look at everybody's scores, and then you're like, oh, one is, I wish I could have contributed more. Right. And two, damn, I wanted to be that top guy. Right. But not during the races. That's so funny. And, and it's just something special. Even if you won, right? Even the team won. It didn't matter. We kicked their butts, but you still went home. And that was the difference in the... I think that's one... I can't speak for other countries, but right. for us, that made the American team... I'm stoked because I got to have the tail end of a really rad era one year with you guys, and then slowly things started to change. But that one year I had with all of you, which I was still so green, you know? You got to see it all and feel it all, be a part of it all that winning and then knowing like especially me like oh man we won but I didn't really contribute at all right you know and you're like how do I celebrate this next time I'm gonna be I'm gonna be one of those guys yeah and and in saying that I remember like it was yesterday when John Scott called me and asked me Squire if I was interested in being reserve and it was just like, it was like, it Whoa. seemed like it was like one of the best days of my life. Oh my gosh. Like, they are actually asking me 
to be a part of the American team. Wow. Like, I think, I think at that point, for me personally, it's not like I made it, but oh, like, that's like a dream coming true. Yeah. And I just, it was something very special. See? Something very special, whether, and going there, I knew I wasn't gonna ride. And I'm not, I can't remember if I did or not, but I knew I wasn't going to ride, but you know what? I was going to be on the parade with them. I was going to be in the truck with them. And I was going to be cheering them on. And you know what? That flag was on my chest for the first time. And it was, it was a, it was a pretty special life. day. Yeah, pretty cool. Bigger and I know you felt the same way. Oh, dude, yeah. Like whether you're contributing or not. And then hopefully one day you get called up into the team. And then the first time that happens, hopefully it happens again. Yeah. And then it happens again. And then it becomes a point where you're in the team solid. Yeah. And you're like Ooh. so stoked on like people like yourself of bringing the younger riders into the team and, and just s- sort of standing back and watching them react to, See, yeah, I remember those days. That's pretty cool stuff, you know? See, there's something... I still think that's why the Americans have been... We're struggling these days to have a full squad, you know, but there's there's hope on the horizon, I hope, you know? I think there is. How, absolutely. I definitely think absolutely. there is. Absolutely. And looking at, looking back on all that, I, for sure, I mean, people used to get... I think a lot of teams used to really panic when we got together because when the all-American riders got together because anything could happen, right? And they couldn't, a lot of teams are so serious in doing what they do. We're all different. We, but I think the American way is pretty outgoing and pretty like, we just get rolling, right? And once that, that stars and stripes is on the chest and once the momentum starts to build, it's like, watch out. You know, it's like a steam train. It's yeah. Once we get that thing rolling, like an old diesel motor, once you get that thing yeah. rolling, you're going to have a hell of a job slowing it down. And the momentum would build and build and the, the like the, what do you want to call it? The spirit and the team or the, the confidence and the the razz and everything just would just build and you could just feel yourself just going like, I just want to win. I want to win. I don't give a crap. I just want to win. We got to win this thing. And everybody was, it didn't matter. You're deep. You're in the mud when it's raining and yep, crappy and yep. shitty and horrible. And you're in there and you got your hands and someone else's clutch taking it apart or switching sprockets because a guy had a wipeout and every, the whole team would come Pulling together. parts off your bike to give to somebody else that... Whatever, yeah. whatever it took, you know. And most of the time, at the end of the night, you know, your half your bike was on someone else's yeah, bike, yeah. and that was that. And and you all know that at some point, I'm going to get all my stuff back, you know, or <laughs> someone's going to give you some money for right. it or whatever. But nobody worried about that. No. And it was like right now, who gives a shit? You know, we're we're going to win. Yep. The idea is we're going to win this thing, and we're gonna. And, and you didn't think about it. You didn't think about oh, he's got my clutch plate. It was like. When it was over, then, dude, make sure I get my clutch plates back, right? You know? Exactly. And, yeah. and, you know, one of the things that always surprised me as well, or, or uh, again, I think from watching everyone, they felt the same way I did. When we did lose, I, I of course, we're bummed. But I don't think we were, dev- I, I know myself, I wasn't devastated. Because every single person in that team knew that every single person in that team put 120% on the line and there was not one person that took the easy way out or just gave up. 
And you know what? When you can put everything on the line and you basically didn't have anything left on the table and you come up second or third, you, that, you can't ask for any better. It's, it's, I think when frustration sets in and stuff, when you know that if, if that person would have tried a little harder or, or, or if, and I, I don't believe we ever had an if. And so. Like as a win. Yeah. I mean, so even though we didn't win everything, uh, we couldn't have done any better. We tried our best and in the end, guess what? We got beat. That's okay because we didn't beat ourselves. Right. I'm fine. I've always been fine with however I've ever done if I know that I gave it everything I got. Of yeah. course, there's been times where you're like, you know, I might not have uh, spent that little extra money on that one engine I should have because I had thought I had, thought I had it covered. Mm-hmm. or But that didn't happen very often. Most of the time, I... I mean, I did everything I could to prepare myself mentally, mechanically, or whatever. And if if you go out there and and you put everything on the line, then it's you know, it is what it is. And it's yeah. funny because you're you were asking me to uh, listen to Rhino's mm-hmm. podcast, right? Yeah. And as a whiskey throttle podcast, yeah. And 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 Rhino was. Like, you know, like just nobody liked each other and, mm-hmm. and you have to, it's just something about that dedication and, and you have to like, you know, not everybody's really friends. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, yeah, of course I had people that I didn't really get along with and I couldn't wait to be. But I, I was a little different. I, you know what, Eric Gunderson, great friends of ours and certain writers like, you know, Phil Collins, I'm just throwing a couple writers out there, Wiggy. Um, we were total friends. And we battled like you can't believe on the track, but we were still good friends afterwards. And, and, and it's just a different mentality, mentality, I think for motocross possibly than Speedway or even though it's still motorcycles, and maybe it's only because we have four laps and it's all or nothing. It's not a 20, 30, 40 minute motor, whatever you know they have at certain times. I don't know, but it's, it's different. It's interesting, different mentalities totally. and how people get prepared mentally, yeah. right? Um, like, I know I'm going on a tangent, but I, <laughs> like I was telling Jocelyn, and I forget who else I heard this lately, I never ever was confident. Really? Never. Never. Every single time I went out or I came to the meeting or if I was so nervous where I almost threw up, I knew I was going to have a good meeting. I never expected myself ever to win. Weird. And like. But you wanted to win. Oh, that's, I mean, that was everything course, to me. Yes, you were there. But right. there's certain people, and I'll use Kenny Carter, because that's my era, where that guy, if you, he absolutely, in his mind, absolutely knew he was 150% better than anybody. 
he had better equipment than anybody. He, you know, I mean, he expected himself to win. Nobody was half as good as him. Really? Was he like that? A hundred percent. Wow. But he needed that. Mm-hmm. If he doubted himself, he felt that, that he lost his edge. The edge that I definitely knew I had is I truly believed in my heart that I was fitter than anyone. I had that mental edge of, I don't know how you can beat me because I know you haven't put in as much effort as I have behind the scenes. That was there, but knowing I was going to win and knowing I was better and all of that, I never thought that way. Wow. Isn't that interesting? That's really interesting. And I know that when when we were out for the riders parade, if I got choked up when they were whatever the oh, national the anthem oh, was right. and stuff, I was like, oh, wow, this is going to be a good night. But if I was just relaxed and I didn't get choked up, I was like, oh, no. It's going to be rough. I'm, I'm too, I don't know, not relaxed, but just, I don't know. And that's why I think that when the weather was really bad and the weather was horrible, I always did better because I was so scared and so frightened that if I didn't make a start, which I didn't make that my whole career, let's be <laughs> we always, honest. We always laugh about let's, this. Let's yeah. be honest that I didn't was the best starter. That if I get a bad start, I'm done. Even though I I had a lot of ability to pass mm-hmm. when it's muddy and and I haven't looked back in my career, but when the track was horrible when the it was raining and muddy I did really good mm. and when it was really deep I just I you're in this hole there for some reason and and then I'm thinking god why can't you get starts like that when it's dry and slick and I think it's because I knew that somewhere deep down inside of me I'm feeling you on this <laughs> if if I didn't make the start I still had a chance right where if I knew I didn't make the start, chances were slim. And I wish I had that same mentality on everything because who knows, it would have been a little bit easier. That's pretty funny because I mean, we, talk, we talk about this a lot, especially with, uh, like Andy and I talk about it, you know, we share stories a lot about the back the old days and blah, 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 or we talk with you too about those periods and, and um, you always said that, you know, starts were my, not my strongest point, but man, you give me a track with some dirt, and you know, you guys better watch out. You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll be there. Right. And, um, and the tracks used to be more like that, but obviously things have times have changed these days. Different track surfaces, different types of you know, si- the, the shapes of the tracks haven't changed much, but I think the bikes have become so aggressive and kind of outgrown a lot of the tracks that you would have rode back then too. However, you know, so that makes the starts become more and more important every year. It, but, you know, it's, it's interesting you say that because I think some of the best racing that I've ever seen mm-hmm. is the GPs. Mm-hmm. I, I obviously don't get to see a lot of the league matches and all that. And I've been to a lot of the GPs. And you're right, there's not the amount of dirt on the track. They're slicker, mm-hmm. but there is some dirt on them. But I'll tell you what... Um, I would never count out anyone in any one of the races if they didn't make the start. Yeah. To me, 
I think that would have played in to my hands because, again, wasn't the best starter, but there's a chance. Yeah. I go back and look at some of my old world championship stuff or prior to me or after me mm-hmm. and races, and you know what? There's not many passes a night. Same. It was follow the leader. At that level, everybody is so close yeah. and so fast that if you did make the start, um, you didn't really have a chance. I mean, when I won the overseas final, it was at Bellevue, and that was a track where you could pass. It, it, you, there was not one line, there was five lines, and it, it, you could pass. But it, on the most, it's slick, and you follow the leader. So the GP stuff now, the way the bikes are, the way it's it's anybody's race every time as you can you know I've it wasn't you that was being um, interviewed I think it was might have been Freddie Freddie Lingren one of the races and he said the hardest part is when you make the start you don't know exactly where to ride because at Torton yeah because you just never really know where the fastest part is it's almost sort of better not to make the start because then you are racing the person in front of you. Yeah. So he said it's hard to understand where to cover. Yeah. And I thought, that's awesome. It sucks. It's great to watch. Yeah, really it's, great to watch. It sucks it, to be in the... Yeah. Right, because yeah. you, obviously you want to make the start, mm-hmm. but then when you make the start, you're like, head down, ass up, right? I, I'm going to go as fast as I can and hopefully... I'm in the right part of the track. So true. And I think that's, I I I think that's amazing. You, you get tracks these days. So like you, you talked about some of the tracks that have such good racing now in the GPS. So a lot of the tracks, you know, like Torrens, a new facility that's been completely redesigned. So it's made really wide, really banked, different shaped corners. So they've made, they've created a, a stage for us to perform on. And mm-hmm that's got to be the most fun track, yet the most frustrating track to go to. Right. Frustrating because of that, what you just said, making the start, you just think, where are they coming from? So I go inside, they're going to go outside. If I go outside, they're going to go inside. If I go in the middle, I'm going to have one outside and one inside. Like, you just don't know. Yeah. Unless you got your bike so on par, and it's not an easy track to get your bike really on par. All so, night. All night. Because it changes so much, right? Yeah. And you're following, you're trying to follow, and you know, you're being inside a stadium like that too. Some nights it can be really hot and humid, and then it can be cold and wet and misty, and you can't get it to bite. It's so strange how that all works. And everybody thinks it sounds so easy, but it's, it's, it's Nothing's not. Nothing's easy, right? Style, right? <laughs> so, but then you get, you know, these temporary tracks like Cardiff or ones they've been putting in Denmark or um, you know in, in Melbourne and places like that too Copenhagen when we had them there and then you get they try to make them as wide as they can but sometimes they're limited on what they can do Melbourne was fantastic so wide so round some great racing didn't matter how slick it was or grippy it was fast and it was you know you could just dive bomb somebody if you just needed to make up that little extra ground and um you know, then you, you had opportunities, but, you know, Gorzhov has always been good. They make, they've, they've changed that track a little bit too. And whatever they do with the surface, they have good dirt there. Mm-hmm. And you got local matadors too, that are really fast. So yeah, 
everybody's quick these days, and everybody's good in the start too. Most of them, anyway. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're not as consistent on, on those things, but that's that's what I've always tried to be as consistent as can be. When it got super slick, I was like you. Do you Man. think? Do you think that the laydowns and and that has made it more even in the start? Probably, in that sense, because it's made it because it's not it, like I just know from riding the uprights because that's all I've ever raced is you know I mean very rarely did you ever or did I ever get like a perfect start like I, I'll use Hans Nielsen it seemed like he always had the front wheel about two or three inches off the ground all the way to the corner every time and you're like how the hell did you do that I was either spinning or the thing was straight up or you know yeah. and, and it's and obviously that the engine the uprights they lifted rather than drive straight out. Yeah, and I just yeah. wonder if those if those laydowns sort of evened, evened it up a little bit. That was a complete different power band. Yeah, that too, right? Yeah, so it took, it's taken the tuners, and of course, you know, I'm old school riding style, <clears throat> and my technique is a little bit old school, so I've tried to adapt over the years and, and change the ways to try to fit with the new ones. And then suddenly you find an engine guy who knows how to build a, uh, a modern engine to your style and he can build it kind of old school and not so peak revs and got to get it, you know, where it's on the, on the throttle stop before it can, you can drop the clutch right, or it right. won't work. And then you can suddenly, I'm back to riding the way I ride and having the thing from quarter to half throttle at the start and just feeding it out with the clutch and finding the feel for it. If you don't do it right on the feeling, you stall the thing, or it does stand straight up on you. So it's, but we have so much power nowadays, so you have to just, if you just rev it up and drop the clutch, you know, the thing will either spin the wheel or stand straight up if you don't mm-hmm. know how to, if you don't know how to clutch it. Right, right. So there, there are so many variables, and and a lot of these kids, you know, I mean, we could probably go on about this for hours. And it was probably the same for you back in the day too. You get these kids go out and they they just think they got to have a motor to make the start. So they buy a motor from this guy. They buy a motor from Kowalski. They buy a motor from Anderson, Peter Johns, and and maybe Fleming Gravison, and then maybe Tornado Cams. And they they get all these different motors because they they want to go fast. But what they don't understand is every single one of those motors is a different characteristic from start to finish. Yeah. It doesn't matter who builds it. And they put that flywheel and they put this camera, whatever. None of those motors have ever have the same characteristics. They're yeah. so different. And, and and as you know, it's it's not it's not one thing. It's everything. Yeah. Um, and it's you know it's where you have your rear wheel placed in the, in, you know in the in the in the the rear section, what frame you're using, how it flexes, what, kind of metal what clutch kind of plates, yeah. what spring pressure, what how your engine's set up. That all. What tire pressure you're running? Air filters. Well, air filters. Yeah, like what? Yeah. It's... Uh, and it's the whole package where you sit on on the thing and all that stuff. And that's that's it, that's good. the tough part. And that's the tough part. I think that we don't have, or we didn't have when we first came to Europe, mm-hmm. because our tracks are so small. I mean, literally, it doesn't really matter how your bike's set up out at the start. Right. It's how quick you are with the clutch. Yeah. Because you have like 10 feet to the first corner. And then that was, that was the hardest thing for me is getting, thinking about driving to the corner, thinking about looking 10 feet out rather than just the rut you're in. Yeah. Like all that kind of stuff. And that was all so foreign to me. Like, 
Sure. Why, why, why do I care what's halfway to the corner? Yeah. Well, that means a lot, right? Totally. So it's it's a. Yeah, I used to look look to the apex of the corner. So I'd look at the starting line, check out my spot, and then I would look up to the apex of the corner where I wanted to be. And see what that line looks see like. See what that and, line looks like. And then you had to back up from the middle of the apex. I had to kind of reverse visualize where I was coming into that yeah. corner and then see my riding line coming back and see the, see the groove and see, did I cross rut? Did that go like that? Did that go like that? And you then know, you look at the rut and you're like, oh. Yeah. That's not going to work. It's not going to work. You got to pull out of that rut and find another one. And you got two minutes, right? <laughs> right. No, you don't even have two minutes because by the you... time you leave the pits, <laughs> leave the pit gate, you're yep. already 30 seconds down at least before you get up there. So, yeah. so everybody gives me a hard time for pushing the time. And I'm like, we have two minutes. That's the rule. doesn't matter if I'm there when it hits zero. Right. As long as I'm there. That's why I used to get pissed. They'd warn me. I'm like, I have two minutes. As long as that thing doesn't hit yeah. zero when I pull in, when I'm there, I'm good. And it and it's funny because like you always hear the crowd questioning like God why like why does he just like why didn't just like pick a rut or or you you start kicking one rut and then you go to another one or you pack one and you go to another one and they don't understand that you know obviously there's there's a lot involved and I use drag racing you know that that there's so much involved with the engines and the clutch and they look and see what the the rubber laid down 50 100 feet out and and it's almost the same sort of thing yeah you know because the whatever lane they're in they adjust their clutch and they detune the motor or they put more power into it because it has more grip same sort of thing if you're out of gate four and the groove is going through gate three mm-hmm. gate four might be pretty deep all the way to the corner it's obviously different than if you're on three or two and you watch the you know it's, it's just like a drag it's almost virtually the same thing right yeah totally you yeah. know yeah when you when you add all these variables in so a lot of the guys says probably same in, in your era in the game too you look at it and they're like they just think you go up there and you put these clutch plates in in the spring and you just drop the clutch and you go. <laughs> exactly. You're like, you're like, man, there's so much more to this thing. It's, yeah. not, that, it's not that easy. So, And the fans probably think we're nuts. We're up there digging and putting you know, this and that and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And then you're fiddling with the adjustment on yeah, the lever. Yeah, right, right. And you're like, you know, and sitting where do I want to sit and how much throttle should I give it? And, you're, <laughs> and then, and then so you know, simple. And after that, you know, I like I always had like this little routine that I did at the start. And, and if the guy's rushing you in, because we didn't have like the two minute where we had to be perfectly in, and he and the start marshal's rushing you in, and you haven't gone through your whole little ritual in your head, whatever that may be, you know, moving your leg, moving your hand, mm-hmm. stretching, like it just would jack me up, and you're just like, hey, hold on, I'm not done yet. Yes, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. I didn't pull my glove, or I didn't stretch my elbow, right. or something, <laughs> or pull my knee brace up. Like, that was me. Like, yeah. and then, and I ne- oh, I never done that. Yeah, and you're just like, you know, like, hey, I'm, like, I'm not done here. Yeah, like, you have no idea what this means. Back because, off. Because if I don't do this and I miss the start, I'm gonna come back it's and be pissed off. <laughs> and I didn't miss. I missed the start, so whatever. You start to back and yell at him. Yeah. So, you, if we back up now, because uh, we can go on about this, and, yeah, and for hours. sure there's yeah hours and hours, you know, and then we have, that leads on to so many more things. Like that, Rhino, 
Yeah, kind of like Rhino. Yeah, Rhino. <laughs> Rhino, he can talk, and he's so rad to listen to, right? But great information. I mean, it's, I, it's, I've enjoyed it so much at the gym dude, like a the whole time podcast. here in, yeah. in Chicago, and it's just, it's fascinating. You can, you, no matter what old racer, whether it's motocross, speedway, and I'm talking motorcycle stuff, yeah. it doesn't matter who you are, what level to a certain extent, Let's just say the top level. Mm-hmm. You pick. You're just like, oh, that's exactly what I used to think, or that's what I did, and or you could, or you know, somebody that was like that, and it's just so cool to find the inner workings or hear the inner workings of how people prepared, how mentally, physically, how they went about certain things, and and uh, and then they look back at their career. Whether that was, whether they were like, oh, wow, I should have changed that or I shouldn't have changed that or whatever. So, anyway. It, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool, though, yeah. like you said. So, if you guys are listening to this and you want to hear a really rad podcast, if you like motorcycling and motocross superstars, listen to the Whiskey Throttle podcast and look for the episode with Ryan Hughes, who's a, a former motocross stud from the U.S. that, you know, the guy... He was he was pretty successful, but probably could have been a heck of a lot more successful if it wasn't injuries and things like that. Just not from just crashing, but the dude just always wanted to be better. He wanted to be faster. He wanted to be quicker. He wanted calculated and the things that happened along the way. Like you just go, man. It just he had some big crashes, you know, and leading races and you know working with all the factories and. Anyway, I don't. I don't want to plug too much. Yeah. <laughs> you should. You should listen. It's rad. So that's the kind of stuff that inspires us. Yeah, guys that we kind of grew up with. Some of these dudes, or you did too. Most yeah. more than I did on some of those guys because you guys were from the same area. I don't know about Rhino, but anyway, dude, you you your career in Speedway was. Um, would you call it a long career? Or would you call it a short career? Uh, I think it was pretty short. I think you it was pretty short. Young, yeah, started young. I mean, obviously, my dad I think was one of the pioneers of Junior Speedway. That's my dad. Told and me. if anybody doesn't know how that all came about, which I think is a is a pretty cool story. Uh, my dad used to own a motorcycle shop, and Mike Bast, which hopefully everybody knows, Mike Bast is you know one of the best American riders ever to to put their hands on a handlebar. Right. The Speedway. Icon, right? Um, the whole Bass family, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was a mechanic at my dad's shop, and my dad would go and help him sometimes at the races. And and one day, my dad's like, you know, or I mean, Mike was like, hey, you know, like, you should make a scaled-down Speedway bike. Because my dad was a fabricator. and Is and, that right? Yeah. And my, my dad I was... Yeah, my dad was a fabricator and all that. You remember my junior speedway bike? Yeah. My dad made 100% of that. Yeah, right, the King It was Crazy Little Ghost that. Junior Speedway Bikes. Huh? That, oh, no that was way. That was my dad's company. So that's where the Little Ghost came from? Like... Because I was Mike's... Because Mike was the ghost. He was the ghost and you were the Little, little Ghost. Little Ghost. Wow. Yeah. So, wow. so my dad... Said, my, dad, my dad still refers to you as a little ghost. Exactly. And that's where it all came from. Oh, so, my God. So my dad was like, oh, all right. You know, it's a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. And my dad's like amazing, most amazing man I've ever seen 
fabricating and with his hands. And so anyway, he built the, my junior spear like mm -hmm. they put a triumph cub in it. And that's when I started riding junior speedway and Mike was obviously coaching me and I was like his little protege. And, uh, so that's how that whole thing came about. And then my dad was making bikes and selling them obviously to help pay for, you know, some of the stuff he built me. Yeah. But the cool thing for me is, you know, I was pretty small and he built a bike that exactly fit me, which everybody that rides, whether it's motocross, speedway, nothing ever really fits you. You're either too small, too big, whatever it may be. There's very few people that have a perfect bike for them. Well, the cool thing that an advantage that I had is... Basically, he measured me up and measured up Mike of what Mike thought was a perfect geometry. Wow. And so I, I had, uh, I, uh, I had, not knowing, but I had a little bit of an advantage there because, yeah. you know, everybody else had to ride what they had to ride. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so Mike was, Mike was the reason that this whole ball started rolling is, is teaching me how to ride and getting me involved in stuff hmm. yeah so was um how many other kids were out there riding then or, or there was starting to ride there was the uh, Moran brothers too right the moran brothers but they're older than you uh, so jeff ward was yeah. riding a little yeah, bit yeah, yeah, at too. one time uh there was cool. jay janetti louis kasuth uh -huh. steve lucero wow. uh uh Scott Webb, I'm just, I know I'm going to forget a bunch of riders, but there was probably a 10-pack. That's huge, right? Mm -hmm. Very lucky that that John Lattisher and Harry Oxley allowed us to ride at halftime. I think we had like two heats or three heats and a main or something. No kidding. So, and, and that was cool because he put us on the center center green and we had a trophy presentation. And I mean, he was behind Junior Speedway. And for us, or for me, I'll just use me, at that time, you know, I mean, I don't know what Costa Mesa had, 5,000 people there? It was insane. Probably, right? Yeah. It was insane. It was always packed. And you had grandstands all the way around back then. Too, yeah, so I mean, they were, yeah. they were almost yeah. as high as the front straightaway. Yeah. It was just a... a, a a velodrome of people. Yeah, exactly. And being 12, 13, going, wow. Wow. Um, going to San Bernardino, three, 4,000 or whatever. I mean, everywhere you went, there was great crowds. And so I'm just like, oh, you know, I want to be like those guys. And, and then just developing through that and, you know, my dad supporting me and driving me and, and I even think that, I think when we had purses, and I For think, yeah, I think a win was like 150 bucks, 100 bucks. Yeah. We, oh. Back then too. And it went 75, 50. And my whole thing, my, my whole thing with my dad was I had a deal with my dad. One is I had to completely prep my bike, 100%. He wouldn't help me with it. And I had to have 
at least a B plus in school. If I didn't have a B plus, I didn't write. But, and I had to completely prep my bike, I couldn't change the tires, but you didn't really change the tire very often. No, I got to keep what I'd won. So that was my, that was my allowance. So that is crazy because if you think about that and if you guys were riding during the season, back then they ran like, was there probably 20 nights or 20, 25 nights a year at each track? Yeah, I think we, we ran Costa Mesa, we ran um, San Bernardino, every once in a while we'd go up to Napa, this is before Auburn was around, Right. we'd go up to Napa, Bakersfield every once in a while, every once in a while Ventura. Uh, obviously Ascot was on the quarter mile so we didn't right. we didn't ride there but yeah I mean for the most part it was almost at least two nights a week wow and those guys were riding five nights a week and making good money and and so and you know I had to work in my dad's shop and do all of that and you know at the time you're a kid and hated it but looking back at when I finally went to Europe those hours, those days, those years that I spent in my dad's shop, in his machine shop, his fabrication shop, fixing, building, never say no, you can make something work, yeah. was was invaluable because anything that happened to my Speedway bike or anything, I could fix it. I could make something. I could jerry-rig whatever it took to, to get me on the track, and, and I think that's priceless. So in a sense, he was sort of grooming me, and, and I never even knew it. Was he hard on you? Was he super hard on you? <laughs> that's that's an understatement. You know yeah, right. my dad. Yeah, I know. That's... Um, yeah, and that's I think uh, I think that's what drove us away from each other when I finally could get on my feet. Meaning that when I was old enough to get out of the house, all of that it was like I needed a breath of fresh air. And was that hard for him? Yeah, it was horrible for both. I mean, yeah, it was. T- it, for me, it was great because I needed to get out. Mm-hmm. And f- for him, it was a slap in the face oh. because he felt that I didn't appreciate oh. what he did. And at the time, as a kid, I probably didn't. Yeah. I probably almost for sure didn't. Yeah, right. <laughs> but then again, you know, so that's a... You being a dad, I've never been a dad, but you being a dad, like, you sort of get, you know, yeah, like... Oh, totally, you know. And, yeah. and, you know, we had a... That day's going to come, right? About f- 10 years ago, we had a serious... We didn't talk to each other for years and all the, you know, a bunch of stuff throughout the decades. And then one day we sat down and, like, okay, take the gloves off. And let's tell everything that we hate and love about each other. And it was uh, one of the most interesting hour and a half, two hours I've ever had in my life. A lot of crying. Wow. A lot of like, I hope, you know, I mean, look, I'm almost tearing up now. Yeah. But a lot of stuff that I realized like, holy shit. All cooped up. Most of it I created had no idea. Always thought he was the asshole. Always thought that he was like, just an idiot and why would he feel that way and then when he started putting it out there I'm like oh my 
sorry. You know, I was pretty selfish and, and I created a lot of it. Yeah. But you know, so. He's still dad, right? Yeah. So, you know, so that was, I mean, I think that brought us closer together than ever. Did he have any sorrow for you too, for anything? Um, I mean, I mean, you like not as he, much, not as much. He shaped you too, right? So yeah, not not as not as much as 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 I felt hmm. that a lot of the things that he did and how he reacted was justified by how I treated him or how I didn't do something or I I should have done something else, sure. which I understood. Yeah, but then again, you know, he's my dad. And I've never understood the, uh, the, the um, little league father. In this sense, and I hate to use little league, but that's just that is a common phrase. Though. Yeah, that's common a, phrase yeah. is you know, hey, I, I gave up my life for you. Um, I was, I'm just throwing age. I was like eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. How would I ever tell you to give up your life for me? You do that because your father, you do that because you love me. You chose to. I shouldn't later have to pay for you throwing that in my face that you sure. that you gave up your life for me, right? Oh, those are heavy words. Right. And it's crazy that you hear, not, not in Speedway, yeah. but in sports in general and definitely motocross where there are parents that work two, three jobs to take their kid to the tracks and travel the United States and hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And, and very few kids make it. I mean, there's the Cinderella story yeah. here and there, but there is thousands of other families that have sold the ranch and all of that to, to for their kids right yeah obviously yeah, they're getting I, satisfaction out of that whole thing and hopefully um, their kids make it and, and become very successful but very 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 few do and just hopefully later in their life that's not like hey look what we did for you and yeah that's yeah you know so it's, it's tough yeah that's really tough it's tough and to tell an eight or nine year old kid that um, whether they understand it or they don't at some point they're going to get it and then it's then you think about it like yeah obviously you you didn't choose to come to this world <laughs> you, you are right you are, somebody tries right. to bring you to this world and and everything you do yeah. everything you do for your sons yeah. you don't want anything back yeah. no no just to, to that, see them shine, you see what i'm saying see them shine. yeah sure. so that's that's what i mean like that was could, the tough part is yeah, sure. is like wow like really so like you know, you uh, you get you can understand why some some people we we both probably have friends that have not ever had this talk that you had with your dad, right? And can you imagine some of the the baggage and the, yeah, what it goes and and the things that go along with it. You know, and then but then but then I think, you know, of all the hard times and all of that growing up, you know, we didn't have any money and lived on soup, macaroni and cheese, you know. Right. So I could ride, um, and it's, uh, I will say though that when I started getting some success mm-hmm. and being able to possibly buy something 
that I liked, it gave me an appreciation like no other of, of all of that hard work and, and maybe what he instilled in me. I think he made me a lot tougher or, 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 or maybe too tough at times, you know? I couldn't let your guard down enough. Yeah, maybe. One thing, though, that he did instill in me without him even knowing it is, like I said, sort of how we lived. Mm-hmm. And I won't go into that, but sure. I know how I never, ever wanted to live again. So meaning when I, when I moved out, my desire to never, ever live like that was the driving force, was one of the driving forces to succeed. And I'll do anything and everything. I'll dig a ditch. I'll do whatever it takes to to ride my motorcycle, to race, to go over to Europe, to to do whatever, to not live like that. So it, it's, and if I wouldn't have had that, I don't know if I would have had that drive. If I would have had the silver spoon or I feel you. What you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. it, it, I would. I'd be like you know like. I don't want to work paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, and and it's if just, and obviously I never had everything given to me. No. And if and later in life I think that was that was a good thing because there was a lot of things that I don't know if I would have accomplished if I didn't have that mindset. Yeah. You know, looking if I compare notes between our upbringings and obviously your parents they they divorced too when you were yeah when I think I was eight eight okay seven or eight and then and then I was how old was Kent she's younger than you right she was like three three okay but and I first lived with my mom Mm -hmm. but I was such a hellion oh I was a handful (laughs) I I was a horrible kid (laughs) where there was one day that my mom picked up the phone and said you got to come and get this little bastard. I I can't do it. I can't do it. And at that point, that's when I live with my dad and my sister live with my mom, because I was just, I was horrible. <laughs> I have to laugh. With I you. mean, yeah, I mean, bad enough where your mom is like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, you got to get rid of it. Like you got to take care of this kid. Yeah. And I was happy as a clam because, that's, I mean, motorcycles, like right. And that's where I wanted to be. Dude. As crazy as that sounds and no matter, and my mom lived really, really comfortable. Great. But I was willing as even a kid to have soup every night, have macaroni and cheese, because guess what? I could go to my dad's shop and work on my mini bike, my whatever it is at at the time that I was small, he, he worked at this place called Muntz Motorcycle Park, where they, it was right off of Burbank and the 405. Uh-huh. And they rented motorcycles. So like if you wanted to go ride out at Indian Dunes at the time, mm-hmm. you could come back, come by with your trailer and rent like a 50, an 80, a 125, 250. You could rent a street bike and then bring them back and they would wash them and all that. So there was a pile of mini bikes, a, like like uh, uh, XR75s and like a pile of them. 
because they just didn't have enough time to fix them all. Right. That's where Mike, Mike was the mechanic. So my dad would be like, hey, you get any of those running, you can ride them around here because it was a huge yard. Uh-huh. You can ride them around for a day and a half. So I'd get my little toolbox and I would go out there and I'd be taking parts off one bike, what put them on deal, another. Right? So yeah, it taught me, taught me so much about bikes. And it would take me weeks to a month to get one running. <laughs> but it was worth it. Right? Oh, it was you, totally you, worth you, it. Yeah. Because I got to ride, you know, like. And you it was were like, learning at the same time. And, and little did I know. And then every, it got easier and easier because, oh, wow, I'm not getting spark, you know, because he'd show me, you know, try a plug first or, you know, take it off of that one. So I know we got deranged, but derailed. No, but 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 it's all part part of what we do, the way you are. But that was like, that was, uh, again, I'm like, I was in, I was in heaven, you know, like Mm -hmm. after school, I'd ride my bicycle straight there. Get my toolbox. That is so bitching. That is so bitching. In that sort of manner, like growing up with my mom and dad too, and they split up when I was young. So different, complete different in the way you, you explain yours in one way. But like we, we, maybe you had friends that had money too that were a little mm-hmm. bit better off or yep. don't need to say money. They were just a little bit better off. But, which I did too, you know, we didn't, we didn't live extravagant. We, we got by, mom and dad worked their butts off, both of them to, to raise their kids and, yep. and take care of things. So it was a hard life, you know, and it was like paycheck to paycheck. You can see it was really, I remember seeing my mom really struggle for a lot of years. And, um, you know, the hard part is like watching them now when they get older and they're getting retired. And if they didn't have, you know, things, they worked their ass off to take care of us and, yep. and raise us. And then once we got on our own, you know, they... They, uh, they still got to fend for themselves and, and you still see them working their butts off trying to survive and make enough money to retire on and, and try to live a, a decent life, you know. And uh, like they both stayed so humble and my dad taught me so much, let me go in the work in his, yeah, he was a paint, auto body yep. paint, so he didn't, he wasn't a car builder or a fabricator in that way. However, he was kind of a fabricator when it came to fabricating a body design and fixing things and repairing and Bondo and fiberglass and all that stuff and repairing bumpers and then that's that always led into something in a motor a change in a carburetor or a, a distributor or a coil or a starter or you know mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff so for me all I wanted to do is be with him because then I was closer to my bikes and then right. I, I got to learn how to paint and I could work on my bikes but I would have to earn a little bit of money from him my allowance by learning to paint so I would paint and help him in the when he was doing his stuff on the weekends and Dude, I love being in the workshop. Love mm-hmm. I didn't care if I smelled like fiberglass or resin or, you know, <laughs> yep. Bondo and, and, you know, two-stage clears and all that kind of stuff. Whatever. It was awesome. You know, your, finger, your fingernails were full of crap. And it was great. But those kind of things, like, at that young of an age, learning that kind of stuff that stuck with you, and that was, again, installing the software, and that's what created you. So, like, your mom, your, you and your dad, you guys, obviously, you had tough times there, so your mom booted you out. Or basically said, yeah. so did your dad come yeah. and get your son, <laughs> you know? And then you went back to live with him? Or did you go out on your own at that stage? What do you mean? Like when, you're, when your mom said, like, you're going to... I lived with him the whole time. Really? The only time I saw my mom was, uh, was you know, like weekends here. They didn't have a, a set, you know, 
five days, two days, oh. a month. It was 100% with my dad. But one of the deals that they made with me was, first of all, you you tried living with me. This is my mom. I can't, I can't handle you. So your dad's going to take over. If you decide, though, that that's not working and you come back to me, you cannot go back and live with your dad. We're not going to be that couple where kids bounce back and forth. That's not going to happen. So you've, you've, you've experienced living with me. You now have the chance to experience living with your dad. And if that doesn't go well and you want to come back here, you just have to know that you're back here for good. So don't tell me there wasn't times where I'm like, man. Sure. But. It, and that was part of being a kid too, right? You tried to play your parents. Right. Sure. And, 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 and that sort of, that sort of took away that playing them because there was no playing them. There was no. Uh-huh. It's either one or the other. Where was your sister in all this? Was she with your dad? My too? sister was with my mom. So you guys lived two separate? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, so. It, Were you, you know, close to each other though? Like live close or was it far away? No, we lived close. It was all in the valley. Oh, okay. So right there. Right. And until we went to Auburn for those three years with my aunt and uncle. But, you know, I would see my mom whenever I wanted. It was none of that yeah. keeping you away. And on all the holidays and everything, you know, I was with my mom and, mm-hmm. and, and my dad. And, you know, like my mom would obviously invite my dad and we'd all still be a family. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was, uh, I think that, I think I see, I see other couples with kids that I know and, and they bounce back and forth and, and it's and they play one parent against the other parent, and I think I think that obviously when I was a kid I thought that whole deal sucked, yeah. but I thought that was pretty smart what they did. Yeah, you got to make a decision, you know. Yeah, it wasn't a bad deal at all. Yeah, it was like and here you go. You so live here, and, and they were never. There was I was lucky that they weren't that. You know, when I would go and race, my mom and sister would come and watch. You know, a lot. So there was there wasn't that. Yeah, that's cool. That, that's, so that was that was, for me as a kid was was awesome. Sure. Was awesome because it didn't really matter who I lived with. I still had the full support of both of them and, and and all of that, and I got to be on my motorcycle ride. That's like a win, 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 yeah. win. Yeah. All about winning. So then you guys, obviously, when you got more into the five hundred stuff, then too. So you, when you were 16, you went to the 500s? Yep. And, um, well, maybe 15. Well, I was just curious. But you officially <laughs> started racing. I have that as one of my questions, yeah. actually. Yeah, so 16. 16. So you were 16 when you started. <laughs> right. Like all the kids. A hundred percent. Right. Because you had to be 16 to get a license. Yeah, that's right. And as long as, you know, do you have proof of your birth certificate? Um, <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say it. that was bad. Um, so, you obviously went into the 500s. You had a very short career of racing in the 500s in the U.S. before you branched over to the U.K. for the first run, right? Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, one one thing that that was was interesting. My first time that. My dad used to take me to baseball little league diamonds, uh-huh. and he knew the guy there, and 
basically they would, my dad could run the sprinklers. Uh-huh. And that's how I learned how to ride my junior speedway bike is on the grass oh, because really? it was so slippery and the tires didn't tear up the grass. Right. So like that's where I learned, mm-hmm. which I thought was pretty cool because it wasn't on dirt. It was like almost too, like right? on ice, Yeah. you know, and it didn't have to go fast mm-hmm. to learn balance, control, throttle control, all that. When I first switched on to, I had a two-valve, right? But had a two-valve with the two-speed transmission, and that was my first bike out of the crate, Jawa out of the crate, right? Um, I remember the first time I rode it at Indian Dunes, how ill-handling that was compared to my junior speed bike. Really? I was like, oh, my God. Like, my dad's like, so how is it? I'm like, it's, like, horrible. Like, my junior bike handled so much better. So... It was opposite for me. I had to learn how to ride not only a 500, but it just didn't turn as good. It just didn't do a lot of things as good, which I thought was interesting, right? So yeah, I, I, uh, I started off on a, on a Jawa two-valve with a, because we talked a lot about Dude, this, yeah. with the two-speed transmission and, and it had a three-spring clutch. And I remember when we got like the six-spring, how amazing it was and we got a Westlake conversion I forget I think he got that from Ed Schaefer and we got a Westlake conversion and then I think I rode my whole first year possibly on that I'm not sure and then I remember I don't know what strings my dad pulled but I got a Westlake whole complete bike in the crate shipped over from Europe crazy right so that was that was big that was huge. That was huge. What year was that? 80? 81? 80? Yeah. I think 80. And then, obviously, Bruce is the one that... that and, and you know what's weird is I knew nothing about Europe. I knew nothing. I knew that Scott Autry and Gresham and Bobby and Bruce and stuff were over there. But, but I knew nothing about it. I didn't ever see a Speedway star or a Speedway male. I knew nothing. But when Bruce came to me and said, hey, you know, like, would you be interested in riding in Europe? I was like, yeah, yeah. Having no idea what it's like over there. And so I think, was I 16 or 17? I think I was 16. 16 when they first approached me. And then when I, and then, so they, so they said, Hey, you know, we want to sign you now. And this is all Bruce is doing. Yeah. Bruce set this up and was like, um, but we want, we want to show you at first. We know you can't ride till you're 18, but we want to bring you over here. And I can't remember if I was 16 or 17. I'm almost positive I was 16. And I remember they sent me to England and Mikey picked me up and we're driving and it's like, I mean, I, I'm in like in some other world, right? Mm-hmm. We're on the wrong side of the road. It's raining. It's cold. It's, you know, and I'm, it's just crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, you remember your first time you were oh, there. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm, I have no idea. Then we went to... Cradley. 
because Bruce was obviously riding. And I remember being in the front seat of his transit van. And we we're starting to roll up to Dudley Wood. And there's like a thousand people out front. And they won't let us through the gates. Because they're all like want Bruce's autograph. And I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. Like, like my eyes were like tears in headlights. And I'm just like, what, what the hell is this? Like, what is this? I mean, it took us like 10 minutes to get through the people. Yeah. To get through the gate. Once we got through the gate, because they didn't open the gates yet with all the people. So once we got through the gates, I was like, whew. Like, wow. And Bruce is signing autographs, you know, trying to get through. And then once we get through, and I remember us cresting, going through the gates and cresting the top of the hill and seeing the track. And literally, I was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> it's like the biggest thing. I mean, I raced Ascot. The yeah. quarter mile and half mile, but that was a true Ascot's like a car track, and, yeah. and this different. was like, you have to be kidding me, yeah. like, it was amazing. Second thing was like, holy shit, I can't ride that, <laughs> right? Yeah. So then we take <laughs> the stuff out of the van and we go into the pits, and and I'm in the pits and. Then they let everybody in and they're hanging on the pit gate and and I'm just in like wow. So after the races, after the races, um, I go in the changing rooms because I'm gonna take a ride after the races. After the second half mm-hmm. they used to have. And I'm in the changing rooms and getting changed and all the other riders are showering and getting all that. So and I walk out there and yes, some people left, but literally the stands were packed still. And I remember asking Mikey going, what, what? And then he goes, yeah, they're all waiting for you to ride. And I'm like, you have to be kidding me. Seriously, this is 30 minutes after the races were over. There's, that's how Cradley fans were like yeah. amazing, right? Yeah. So here I roll out, lights on. Oh God, I, I can just horns feel going. Oh my goodness, was I nervous? I'm just like, please don't crash, please don't crash, please don't crash. Yeah. Oh. But you can't just roll around. I mean, if these people are watching you, you got to sort of, you know. Yeah. Get after it a little bit. Oh, I'll never forget how nervous I was. It's horrible. And how excited I was afterwards, knowing I didn't crash. Because <laughs> you didn't, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I mean, I did okay. Wasn't great, I did okay. <laughs> and then, going into the changing rooms, and Bruce obviously giving me a bunch of shit. How slow I was. Yeah. And, and everything. <laughs> uh, and then us leaving, and the same thing. There's just so many people, like, they won't let Bruce out of the thing. And then, I find out that so many of them are there for me to sign autographs. Oh, and I was wow. like, what? I'm nobody. Mm-hmm. I, I'm like a little 16-year-old from California. And these people waited that long, and and I signed more autographs, I think, that night than I did my whole career in <laughs> California. <laughs> or my whole career ever. Yes. Where Bruce is like, Bruce is like, come on, dude, let's go. Oh, my God, waiting for you. Like, dude, not um, So, one, that was like an eye-opener. Yeah. The second race I went to was Wembley. 
And was that a league match or was it? A, no, the world final. The world final. They really? brought me over for that. No way. Yeah. Oh my god. So that was they wanted me to see it, and I remember being in the press box and looking out and seeing what ninety something thousand people. Oh I don't know. Oh my god. And just going, how, like, do I want to ride here? Are you kidding me? I've never seen anything like this in my entire life. Dude. Like, and then going, you know. I remember as a junior looking up at the stands at Costa Mesa thinking, wow, I want to do this. Yeah. Now I'm to this next step, something I knew nothing about, like, wow. Mm. And uh, That would have been an experience for me. And it was just the most amazing Damn. thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And then little did I know that was going to be the last final there. So how cool that how cool is it that I got to see the last world final yeah, that's at Wembley real. and Bruce winning in, in the fashion he did and and again not many passes through the night but he made two of them yeah epic passes right yeah by a tire whatever at the line so and then seeing the whole aftermath and the interviews with Bruce and because I was staying at his house and it was epic. Dude, was I can't epic. even. I can't even imagine. I mean, because people still refer to that quite often. And they, they, you know, show highlights from from big races Ugh. over the years. And I mean, obviously Wembley was always big, but that race with him and Oli, and and then of course then the Coliseum the year or two when he had that with Kenny Carter, and like you're just going, man, there there were some freaky good speedway events yeah. back in the day. They're still great. They're great today too. Yeah, they're freaky good today too. But just a different era. Yeah. And like you said. For us growing up, to have been there for that, especially when you look back on it. Yeah, very, very fortunate. Yeah. Very fortunate. Oh, man. So, yeah, so then, I mean, obviously, I just couldn't fast. I couldn't sign the contract fast enough. I I didn't know what I was signing. Yeah. I, hopefully, Bruce put a good enough deal together. If he says it's okay, then... It's got, it's got to be good, right? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I, have, I don't have a clue, you know? Uh-huh. I look back now at the contract that I signed. I was like, "Holy shit! I gave myself away." <laughs> but I shouldn't have listened to Bruce, <laughs> right? But you know, and they brought me over another time, so I I came over twice uh, before I ever came over and rode, and um, so yeah, I just I mean, oh my gosh, pretty special, is, yeah. Yeah, that's really special to to yeah to hear it like this too. Um, that so that was eighty one, and then you came over to ride. Was it eighty two, eighty three, eighty two? No, eighty two. Eighty two. You came back to Cradley. Right. And then, you did, eighty two, eighty three. Yep. I think what was I? I wasn't there in eighty one. No, because there was some. Was that when you had the? No, eighty two. When did you have the issues with your age? Didn't you have issues with age coming over? No, that's when I... That's, that's that was when, your 16. That's when I was 15. Right. Yeah, so... Didn't you? I thought you had so, an age issue going to England, too. No, because that... I... I, I uh, no, just the, the, the 15. Just the 15, okay. So I got yeah, that we had wrong. the fake, sir, fake right, so, birth certificate to ride. So it was 82 then when you... So you were there when Bruce left. Right. So, so yeah, I was there... I rode with him, what, like half the season? Yeah, 
then he quit right after the world final right yeah yeah he, and he didn't and come luckily back, you know? what's up he didn't come back after the world final he didn't come back no, and ride again huh no and the thing that that I knew what was going on mm-hmm. and I think obviously there's some other people that knew what was going on and obviously the fans didn't know what was going on and you know because um, I was his partner I was at number two mm-hmm. and uh, yeah that was crazy that was what crazy crazy yeah. right because you know I got to I got to know how much the fans love that guy yeah and then I'm like oh no like he's gonna be going if he wins this thing it's a done deal if he didn't win I'm not sure hmm. I, I still I mean he still had his contract with chips and but I don't know how that would have all played. It still wouldn't have. It would have been just different on his character at the beginning. But, but he yeah. went there to win. I'm, I'm going to win. Yeah, no, I mean, so, I mean, yeah. obviously that that desire was was amazing, and 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 he was the best at that time. Yeah, I mean, there's no question that he didn't get lucky. Yeah. He didn't get lucky at Wembley. He was he was he was the best. Yeah, I mean. I agree. You know, certain years, you just know that, you know what, that if they don't win the world final, they should have because... They were the best. Yeah. It was just, that was really bad luck or whatever happened. Right, right. And and unfortunately, on those one-night world finals, you can get incredible luck or you can be the best and have a chain break or an engine failure and you're done. Yeah. You can't recover. That's one heat. So that's... That's the cool thing about a one off world final is the atmosphere and it's all or nothing. But for you to win, I don't care what anybody says, you gotta have some luck. Luck luck of just nothing going wrong. Not yeah. luck if you win. Yeah. Because if you know, and there's some there's some that shouldn't have won. But I think for the most part, the people that won should have. But there was some one-offs that... Yeah, those, those always come, right? Yeah. It's some... And that's the one thing that the Grand Prix sort of weed out. There's absolutely no one, I think, that wins the Grand, the, the world title in a Grand Prix that, that, that lucked through it. You can't luck through multiple, multiple rounds. No, for sure. No, you yeah. definitely... Consistency you know. gives yeah. you a true and, world champion. And the, and the true... You know, there might... There might be somebody that has bad luck and might be the quickest rider that, you know, might have put themselves in jeopardy or or they were the fastest but they didn't win and yeah. a lot of it could have been their own fault of not laying back and, you know what, it's okay to take a second on this one. Yeah. Then putting it all on the line every time, you know. Yeah, for sure. But in a one-off world final, you have to put it on the line. Yeah. yeah you but, got, so yeah. you have to play it a little bit smarter, you know. I wish, I wish in my career, there were the GPs. I uh, looking back now. Yeah, and and uh, I don't mean this cocky. Yeah. But I think I would have won a world final. I was. I for some reason, for some reason, the bigger the race, the more I rose to the occasion, and um, in my time. Not the whole time, because there's a lot of things that, that, that why my career sort of went downhill a little bit towards the end. Or there's certain reasons, 
Mm-hmm. But um, I think if consistency, if you looked at the overseas, the intercontinental, the world final, all of all of those races mm-hmm. of placements, I look back and I'm like, wow, if that was a GP and if that was a GP and if that was a GP and if there was a couple more, you know, who knows, right? Yeah, totally. Who knows? You never know, but but it would have been it would have been cool. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, for sure. And also for us, I mean, there was way too many great guys for only four to go through. Yeah. I mean, literally, when you made it through the American final, you won right off the bat. Yeah, right. Because, I mean, talk about, again, basically you're riding a world final to get through the American final. Yeah. Because if you have one engine failure, you're out. Yeah. To get top four. Where, you know, not top eight or top ten where you can have a problem. Yeah. There was a lot of names. Coming there to qualify. Oh, there was the day, there right? was definitely more than four that had the ability to make it through to a world final. Yeah, hundred percent. If we talk about the names, you say yourself, Bobby, Kelly, Sean, Kelly, Sean, Siggy, Siggy, Cookie. At that time, right? At that time, was Sam there then too, or was he? And then, and then, and then, we'll throw Sam in the mix, right? And then Ricky, when Ricky, okay, Ricky started, Miller. and even then, you had like guys that could throw in the odd wins. Faria, you know, Nicero, yep, guys like that that were also coming up that were big on big, good on big tracks. But yeah, they could do it. So you know, that was ten. We just threw ten out there. Crazy. Yeah. And then we're probably forgetting somebody right, and that we shouldn't be forgetting, but who's to say? Just looking at it now and thinking about it, the only four guys qualified, and there was actually quite a few there that could easily have gone as well. If you just put yourself and Bobby and, and the Moran brothers, there's four, then you left out Cookie, and you left out Siggy, and you left out um, uh, like other us. Maybe, maybe Sam was a little bit later, huh? Yeah. Maybe he was. But anyway, there was a Casus and a Faria, and there was... I mean, there's a lot of names. A lot yeah. of dudes. You know, and... and, uh, and we had Gresham, but maybe he was done by then. Gresham was done he by was then. He was done by then. Ingles, was he around yeah. then, too? Uh, I think so. Okay. I'm not sure. Um, Eddie Ingles? I'm not sure. There's another one, too. And, you know, and the thing... We've talked about this is... Uh, for people like myself... Mm-hmm. That... Uh, I... The only... The only reason I raced, I wanted to be world champion. Mm-hmm. Everything was geared to be a world champion. Um, that's so. If if I didn't make it through the American final, what's there to race for? Right. A paycheck. Really? Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm in this for. Yeah. I'm 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 in this to be the best in the world. The paycheck was like the bonus, right? Right. But in and in the end. I mean, did money matter to you when you first went over? No, as long as I had enough to right. freaking make it to the next race, that's all I needed. You right, know? and if I could I put could more money in and... my engines or... <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Whatever it took to win, right? Yeah, heck yeah. What, whatever it took. Yeah. I didn't care if I had a dime in the bank. Yeah, same here. Most of the time If I, I had some money, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but if I had... The more money that I made, the more I put into everything else. Yeah. Which gave me a better chance. It was all about giving myself the best chance possible. 
always reinvested and, there, right? And and yeah. you know, one of the one of the motivating factors, I will say, Eric Anderson. Obviously, my teammate, mm-hmm. and the most immaculate bikes I think I've ever seen in my life every night. But knowing that he's my competitor, mm-hmm. I got to beat him if I'm ever going to be world champion. My stuff's got to be the same or better than his yeah. to have a, as good a chance. So if you had extra money, I mean, I, I, I'll i be honest, like, I strive to have equipment as good as his. Because you know what? Like I said, I think I was physically better than anyone else. What a mental edge that Eric must have had knowing when he looks down the pit lane at everybody's bikes and he looks at his, he's like, how can they beat me? Who's going to be second? You know what I mean? Yeah. All that matters, right? All those Dude. games and all that's a mind game. And, Dude, that and, was worth another and, heat and, win or two. Yeah, and how many yeah. people have you beaten before they get on the track? Yeah, exactly. Right? right? It's all that, that game, right? So that, that's, that's what puts so much, so much importance on that American final. To me, it was my whole year. Yeah. It was my whole year. It was, though, because it, and that thing was fairly early in the year, too, right? So it was in June, beginning yeah. of June. Yeah, So you're still getting kicked off. So, and if you didn't qualify out of that, the rest of your year was, like, done as far as your, your championship goes. And the hard part is, and it's, nobody ever wants to say this, but the league racing could take the effect of that because you're winning out of your sales, although you got to give it your best shot for your leagues, and you always did, and you always want to be a team player, and you always want to win for them. You didn't. You approach those meetings as a team. Mm-hmm. You didn't approach them as an individual. So you were there working as an individual for a team. So it's kind of hard to marry those two, right? So you. Yeah, and you know the the thing is 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 uh, again I I guess I guess I might have put the wrong vibe out there, but not everything no, not everything not everything was a hundred percent to be world for to be a world champion. No, the same for me. I'm with but, you because it's it's a really tough but, thing. The amount of testing, the amount of uh, whatever you're doing, when all of a sudden, okay, so now the world championship's gone that year. Mm-hmm. All right, so like, what is the incentive to go that, to spend that every dime now? Yeah. Because if you're spending every dime that you make, where's that going to get you? It's going to get you nowhere mm-hmm. as far as your ultimate goal. Right. And it's one of those that goes to, you want to win every race you ride mm-hmm. because that's just how we are. That's how we're wired, right? Yeah. So that's the only thing that I think takes over in that sense. And it's, um, and I will say that that, that never sacrificed, that never was in jeopardy as far as, Oh, just not spending any money anywhere and, and just whatever I do, I do. Mm-hmm. Because in the end, you have next year. Right. So the more that you can accomplish the end of this year does a couple things. One is obviously you're on point money. Two, you're hopefully figuring some stuff out with your equipment mm-hmm. that's going to help you next year. And two, the 
best you do for that year might get you another sponsor. It might get you, which again is going to help you for that ultimate goal. Right. Um, but again, it's tough. It's really tough. And I had in re- more recent years, uh, and it's still going back like six, probably six or seven years ago, but more recent, <laughs> uh, a team manager who said to me when I was riding in another league, he said, what I don't want, I only did a few races uh, in the league, and he said, you know, we only need you for, we can only use you a few times, but when you come here, I don't want you to use this as a testing ground for your GP or for this or for that. I want you to come here to go racing and bring your good bikes and go do that. And I remember thinking like, I'd never used any races like that in that manner that I would go there and, and put something on the track that, that uh, was possibly subpar because I didn't want to throw away points. I think in, in one point trying to get a, a team manager team manager to understand that when I go racing, it's like if you pay me you know, 20 pounds a point or you just give me a guarantee for the night of 200 pounds. So just give me the guarantee. Then you know you've got your budget, right? Then you know how much it's going to cost you. Some nights you're going to win and some nights I'm going to win. But overall, it's always going to add up. So, but don't ever think that you're going to lose on me week in and week out because I'm not a loser. I go there to win every single time. And I'm going to, I'm definitely going to bring stuff that I think I need to try this and I need to try it against stiff competition because where else do you get a chance to try it? In practice? Right. Practice. In a world is, championship? Practice is nothing like time. racing. No. Right. I, I, I mean, as much as you can get a feel for it mm-hmm. and then you try it in a race it to me I've never it's never been the same right close but you, you get a good idea yeah. and then you might be able to 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 tweak it here and there but yeah I know what you're saying it's 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 that's what the beautiful thing was when I I don't know if second halves were around when you wrote yeah they still were yeah that was not a, as big as like no not but like you they, that they was a them. great place to test yeah and you know what no we didn't have be, those kind of second houses. because that had nothing to do with the meeting yeah. it was only individual then so I mean that's I always had something to test always had something to test not like something stupid where I know I'm gonna get smoked because I still wanted to win yeah but like you said but it wasn't sacrificing in a league it wasn't, you know, like it wasn't hurting anybody anywhere. And, and, and again, we talked about guarantees. Like there's a lot of writers on guarantees now. Sure. When I came back in 1985, I would not come back to the British League unless I got a guarantee. And one of the things that, that my team manager said to me when we were doing the deal is I'm, I'm hesitant to give you a guarantee. And I said, why is that? And they said, because how do I know you're going to put it, one, you're going to have, make sure you have the best equipment there, spend the money on your equipment, and or give it 100% every night. My answer to him was, you don't know me, do you? Yeah. If you knew me, you know that you would never have to ask that question. Yeah. But, yeah, but, But there's certain people that we know. Yeah. Absolutely. That, that you would never give a guarantee to. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. so, 
and I mean, you know, there was Ole Olsen. They, a lot of them had guarantees. Yeah. And That's how did they do? Yes, exactly. Right? Um, so they don't want to be a loser. And they don't go there to get... Because if I have a bad... If I have two bad races on, in a row on the trog, they say, don't bring me back. Kick me out of your right. team. Pay me my guarantee for all the races that I race for you. And if, if I really... If you really feel that's bad, then I'll go home. Yeah. And like you said, there, there's... there's It's a give and take. One, one night, you could have... You just... For some stupid reason, just nothing works. And you have an eight-point night. Mm-hmm. I'll just use that. You totally won. Right. Or you go and you get a maximum of 12, 15 points. And the promoter won. Yeah. Because they got you really cheap. Yeah, exactly. But, it, you know, it's... it's To me, when I got the 12, 15 points, I won. Right. Exactly. Because, one, I probably kicked some guys' asses that I have wanted to for a while yeah. and we won the meeting and you know what the more meetings we won the more knockout cups we got and the more meetings we got to race mm-hmm. and the more meetings we got to race obviously we got paid and you know so that whole philosophy of uh, but I can see a promoter if they don't know you yeah asking that question totally but that's guy, fair yeah and a guy like you is so established right so they're not paying you just on the points they're paying you for for your experience, for your knowledge, for your team capability. You're paying for you for not just on your score. It's everything else that you bring to the table, right? Hopefully, and, you know, like helping the kids out. And exactly. Teammates, right. whatever, you know, and, and doesn't matter on those nights. If you're having a tough night anyway and something breaks or something's just not going, you're trying to figure it out, you might not be the best team player in the group because you're trying to figure yourself out. You're trying to get it working and get it fixed. But also, if it's going good for you and your team player... Is having a tough night, you're over there trying to help him out to get it worked out. So yeah, it's not 100%. always the case that they're over there helping you, you know. Right. But you're the big man on the team. You're the dude who should have everything worked out anyway. Right. Should. So yeah, should right. <laughs> Never work. Doesn't always go that way. Right. I know right. that. I know that. Hopefully, if, for a majority. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Right. So that's what I remember having those things when you talk about guarantees. That guy. I remember that guy. I never. I thought about. It. I said, I don't come here to test, but do you know how many times those engine tuners have tested on us? You know, when you buy your engines from a guy and you don't know what you got until it's done. And you hope you and do. You hope you do. But I know for sure, it's for a fact that that's happened to me many a times. And you become... Because how do they learn? Yeah, exactly. And if you develop, if you find a good guy, a good relationship, and you develop that, and if you really know your equipment, which I know you knew your equipment very well, you know when something is different. Even mm-hmm. if they told you it's like this, you can tell. And then it's to decide... Do I say something to him about this? If he had a really bad night, of course you would. If he had a good night, do I want to tell him? Right. Too much? Because so we know he's, he got caught? Yeah. Or, or is it going to go to someone else too? Because so many of the tuners these days, have they share riders, right? And you don't want to look at it that way because then that can make you sick. That can make you crazy. You were doing a lot of your own interests yeah, see, a that, lot of time that's, too. And that's, and, and that's the reason. Mm-hmm. Good or bad... Yeah, it's a mind game. I do believe that I had stuff that no one else had. Mm-hmm. I think I had an edge for a while mm-hmm. with Eddie. Yeah. Eddie had some stuff that that I would get. I would get raw heads from Westlake, mm-hmm. and we'd take them back to the states. And I had some of the best flowing heads. F- you know, guys flowing heads, and 
and doing head work in the world. Are these guys that your dad knew? This is a a company by the uh, the name of Airflow Research. My dad was um, one of the co-founders of that. Oh, right. And they did heads for Don Perdone. They did heads for all the top car guys, drag racing, sports car stuff. They, by the guy by the name of Ken Sperling ended up, and my dad sold out. Ken, and then it was Ken Sperling and a guy by the name of Brownfield. Brownfield was the first man that did aluminum heads. Oh. So I had these guys doing my heads. And there were a few other writers that found out about it, and they refused to do their, yeah. their heads, which right was pretty interesting. That's pretty cool. So, and we had, we had our own cams, because my dad knows how to, you know. So we had our own cams for that head. And they started doing GM's heads, like future cars, and th- they were amazing. Oh, right. Yeah, Airflow Research is known for being, like, the best. So, two reasons. One is I know we had something that no one else had. Mm. And two, it hopefully it was better, right? Uh-huh. And again, it's all about the combination, it's not about having the best engine because if you have the best engine and nothing else works together and you're not getting hooked up, then it doesn't matter. Right. But one of my fears was, even with Eddie at the time, if we have something that works, that is amazing, Who's to, why, why wouldn't he give it to everybody else? Yeah. Because the more people that are writing his stuff and winning the more people are being given him as engines. And so you want, you want that person to be very successful, mm-hmm. but not too successful because everybody else has got the great stuff too. Yeah, totally, right? And so that's, a, that's, a, that's tough yeah. to get an engine builder that is crazy established. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll use Peter Johns for, you know, the, that I know of. Yeah, sure. And... You're racing, you're using Peter John stuff, and you come up with something that crazy works for you. Mm-hmm. You're hoping that he's not giving his other writers that. But why wouldn't he? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's lifting him up all over the place. So basically, you're helping the other writers. Yeah. And it's a, that's tough. Yeah, it's a tough. That's one. tough, man. It, it, like, there's nothing like having your own. It's all you. Your own guy, if you could, you know? Yeah. Like, so, and that's hard. That's hard to do for oh, you know, to get a budget like that to pay one guy just to be for you. It's it's impossible, impossible, right? Right. Unfortunately, our sport doesn't doesn't yeah then allow a, that. Like, then you get a guy like Carl Blomfeld, for instance, who worked with Tony Richardson and Randy Green in the beginning, and Sam Marmolinko and Tony Richardson and Gullah and Lee Adams and and um, and and a few others. You know, he was a a clever dude too. So they they would. He, he could get the chance to look at engines made by different people And then as tweak well. them, possibly. Tweak them right? and using all his own ideas and mix and match and find, you know, but you, where he makes Carl extremely clever, in my opinion, is that he knew his writer. Right. So he knew what his writers, he knew him from head to toe, right? How he thinks, how he acts, how he walks, how he eats, how he trains, how he sits on the bike, how he rides the bike, and his feel, most importantly, what his feel was. So judging by his style, he could decide what kind of a flywheel he needed, and then from there they could build the pattern. Right? And where they want the power, yep. and you know whether it's low end, mid range, top end, because everybody uses a different part of that 
power band. Exactly. You know, I was more of a mid-range guy. Mm-hmm. I didn't need the total top end. It's yeah. just not how I rode. But there's certain guys that that's all they... And especially the guys that are flat out at the start, you know, yeah, because they pretty much have their stuff tuned to be up top. But again, it's suiting that rider. It's finding that combination. And, totally. And uh, that totally. is such a advantage. That is a huge advantage mentally as well as anything else. I know that you've strived and you've, you've tested and with every aspect of the bike Mm -hmm. and you you know you're always looking for that little edge whether it is an edge or not if you feel it's an edge mentally it's an edge totally and you know what somebody else might ride your bike and go oh my this is horrible yeah perfect (laughs) but if it works for you yeah perfect and if you believe it works for you that's half the battle right yeah because we've all rode our bikes before and went, oh, this is horrible. Yeah. And and what kind of frame of mind does that put you in? You're not going to win. I mean, you know, your chances of winning are not as good. Yeah. How many sure. times have you went out in your number one bike? This happened to me like way too many times. Mm-hmm. I have one bike that I know is amazing. And I go out and I just get smoked. And it just doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. That decision of jumping on your number two bike that you know is not half as good as that, but that one just didn't feel that good uh-huh. and you got smoked is tough because riding that thing again, one, I don't have a lot of time. It's a world championship or Do whatever it is. Yeah. Do I gamble? Yeah. And luckily, knock on wood, I've almost made the right decision every time by luck too. Sure jump on my number two bike going whatever you know and then go oh and then and that race go oh my god this thing's awesome yeah I can't believe I wish I should have started on this I didn't give up on this thing (laughs) right yeah Yeah. and and it's and uh, you know I mean like we've talked too you know it, it if you know that something did not work then, then, and it's so hard to go, you know what? I know that that didn't work. Screw it. I'm gambling on this or I'm gambling with, with, with gearing. I'm gambling with ignition. I'm gambling, whatever. Let's just, just do it. Right. Just do it. And you have so many people going, no, uh, no, like, um, we've never tried that or we've never done that or. Yeah. But you, you're right, we haven't, but riding that ain't going to... I mean, we look what just happened. Oh, my gosh. And it's that's that's where hopefully experience helps, but even with all the experience, it's just... Again, it's luck and... and yeah. And, and the constant... I, um, I'm going to say, like, the constant desire for for trying to be a little bit better than the rest, you know? And especially when you get you get a little bit more advanced in your career, you know, and you get to the point where like, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I believe I'm a good rider and I can hold my own, but I always know that I can be better. I know that, so I am constantly watching and studying every single dude, 
whether I show it or I don't, I'm watching them all and I'm trying to figure out what they're doing. And mm-hmm. I will try, if I see somebody that I think looks really good, there's guys out there that are really fast. I think that is not going to work for me at all. That's just right. Uh, Cause that's just not how you ride. So it, it doesn't no, really matter. It ain't gonna happen. But you see somebody that does something you go like, Hmm. Absolutely. You can always learn. Right. So right? you try to apply it at some point and don't really show anybody and just do it. And slowly, but surely if you can be comfortable with, with just adjusting to it, which is the same way that I try to, to or we try to explain to mm-hmm. Luke, right? Luke Becker. So yeah. he's in our booths starting all over and trying to educate him to like, dude, you got to have a feel for it. You've got to feel the damn thing. If you don't feel it, you're going to have to work really hard. Right. Right. Yeah. And um, doing that and then having your engine tuners that are doing whatever, if you've got an engine, you think it's really good, just be happy with it. Then don't, you know, yeah. if you want to make it better or I loved it when, when a tuner like Peter Johns or Kowalski or, Marcel Gerhard is also fantastic. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Right? These kind of guys, they're so clever, all these dudes. And I'm lucky, you know, I'm stoked that they wanted to build motors for me, first of all, you know. But you, when they would call you and they'd ask you what you think of, of what you got and what do you think? I have something new I want to really try. Are you interested in trying it? And how do you say no to that, right? You're well, like, oh, right. I mean, you're, you're, you're full of shit. You're foolish. If you <laughs> just, no. just do it. And, because um, you're yeah. just saying that you don't want to get better. Sure. Or, or find that edge. Right. You know, and, and, and talking about like engines and one of the things that that I love that the Jeep that the GPs are starting to do as far as the filming mm-hmm. is they'll show what bike the riders are on. Right. They're A, B, or C. For me, I think it's awesome. It doesn't happen very often, mm-hmm. but you'll see a guy on his third bike searching for that combination. And then they jump on their seat, bike, and then they win, yeah. and then they go out and do another win. And and I talk to my wife, Jocelyn, about this all the time. I'll be like, "Look, he just hasn't found the combination." And it doesn't matter who you are and how great you are, mm-hmm. if your equipment's not working, you can only cover it so much. Right. Especially how good everybody is, and they have the combination. But I love seeing that because they don't. They they have the balls to go, screw it, that didn't work, on to the next. That didn't work, on to the next. Mm. And then they find it. And if they didn't believe in their equipment, uh-huh. because you know what? Your second, third, fourth bike, whatever you have there, you try to make them all the same, which that never happens. That's right. Um, I don't care how good two bikes are they're never the same no uh but 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 basically on that stage being willing to just get their third bike in line that's normally you never go to that unless you need parts or something dude right yeah you're either yeah either you've had accidents something's broke or you were really having a crappy night, and you're like, when you got to the third one, it was like you were digging for anything. But and if they it was go, there. and if they go to their third one and they start winning, yes, that's when you start thinking about how good a lot of their equipment is. Yeah, if that was their third choice, totally right. But they had the combination worked out. Yeah, so I I love them doing that now. What what they're doing there? I mean, there's there's parts of the the lap timing and stuff that. That I think is irrelevant, and what the way they're doing it for gate positions and stuff like that. I don't know how relevant that is, but for lap times and where they're riding on the track and that kind of talk, 
and understanding. And for us, like you just said there, you've, you've said this a couple of times about that during the year this last year too, how, how rad you thought that was, and yeah. which is really cool. And it is something, because then you're like, why is it, maybe you see a pattern too, right? Yes. And then it makes you wonder, what's really going on? And then, and then there's the other side of the coin. You'll see the same guy on the same bike, like three races rowing. You're like, dude, get off that thing. Yeah. It's obviously it's not working. It's so obvious, dude. Right. Why aren't you looking at this? Yeah. And, and you, <laughs> you have three bikes. Right. And you're just like, yeah. man, that, I mean, you are miles, miles off the pace. Yeah, totally. And, and you're a lot better than that. Get off that thing. Because you see it come out dirty before. Yeah. You're like, okay, you didn't change. But then you see now it's an A, B, or C. And yeah. So I, I think that that brings like a cool little dynamic for, for us all, us riders anyway. It's right. I don't know if the fans, if, if it matters to them, but because, you know. It's got to matter at the hardcores for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Be Maybe when they're at the track, they're not paying attention. But sitting at home and watching on TV where you can really absorb a lot more. Because you're too far away, or you yeah. know, being over in the U.S. sitting watching on your computer, it's um, it's pretty, it's pretty yeah, efficient. I, I like it. I, I I do like I do like that that they added that. That's yeah, it's cool. Me. And even me not being out the last year, you know, missing out on the GP, and then I didn't watch some of the rounds because it was just too hard. But yeah, then suddenly it's like then you start to watch it, and then you suddenly you're looking at it from another angle on the other side of the fence, and you're going like. I understand oh, what you say. I wouldn't have done that, or I wouldn't have done that, or I would have done that. What's he doing? Yeah. Why the heck is he doing that? Why is he riding there? Why would he start right there? Why did he go into that corner? He did it twice and didn't work. Why didn't he go in wide and cut back? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you find yourself going, I'm like looking around to see if anybody's seeing me or listening to me, and like talking to myself. Right. God, and, you know, I mean, bad. it's, it's yeah. the whole thing of, of again, it's only because it's the last thing that that I've listened to with, with Rhino, you know, as far as uh-huh. he, one of the things he teaches when he teaches kids is he wants the fathers to, to videotape him. Yeah, that's right. Be, because yeah. one of the things that his dad did was his dad never missed one of his races taping it. Every race he ever rode in his life, his dad taped. Oh my gosh. He said that he, he basically contributed a lot of his success now that he looks back at it because he would watch the tapes good or bad like oh wow okay that that corner that's exactly what i should have done or oh that's why i was that's why i lost a lot of time there that's why i lost a lot of time there and and you you mentioned it through our talk tonight that watching to me I'm not saying I can learn as much watching than riding, but there is so much you can learn watching other riders. Amazing. And looking back at footage at yourself, when, again, I don't mention this, like, oh man, I was just tearing it up. And then I looked at my my my, my film and I was like, oh, oh my God. that was horrible. Did, did like, I just wh- say that? Yeah, why, why did I like take that turn or that jump yeah. like that? And I know that you've watched yourself and you're just like, what were you thinking? Yeah, totally. And yeah. then other times you're like, oh, yeah, I was on that night and I was reading the track right. And I was, and, and I just, I just could see it all, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's just, again, the, the dynamics, right? And then your mechanics, right? So even when you're right in the middle of it at the track and you're not seeing it, 
It's cool though because we have the TVs now in the pits. You can watch it after the that, replays. That is cool. It's really cool. So if you're if you're paying close attention, you can learn so much. But a lot of guys just have a TV to watch the races and gate positions. But there's a lot more to it than just that. Yeah. But you're looking at you going out and you're trying something that didn't go good in the first heat, and they make a change. And you know my mechanic and all of a sudden Raphael, for instance, would say right after the first heat, he can say we should change the bike, huh? I'm like, no, 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 man, just make it a little small, make it good. You sure? Yeah. And you go out again and make the change and come in and he's like, should we change the bike now? No, no, I think that was better. I have to do it like that. And he's like, I think you should change the bike. And then it's like, now he said it twice. So he obviously sees, and I have so much trust in a guy like that, you know, and he, he can see something. I'm still trying to pursue thinking, this thing was freaking fast yesterday, you know. It is, I won a lot of races on this motor and it should be fast, but he can see right away. It's not, from the first moment I dropped the clutch in a practice start, he can tell that it's like, no, it's not happening. You know, because, you know, it's interesting that, that it's the same thing goes with four wheels now that you're sort of getting into four wheels. Mm-hmm. Uh, an engineer, team manager that that knows setup, knows everything, and, and they know your driving style, your riding style. Mm-hmm. They, they know the sound the bike makes when you do a start the way you're seated on it, the way everything works, whether it's working or not. Mm-hmm. They know you don't watch yourself ride, no. but they watch every race. And they know when you're hooked up and they know when you're dialed and you know those nights you just can't do no wrong. Right. And they know what the bike is doing and the attitude of the tire, they can see it. And, and the way you're, you know, your, your ass is two inches farther to the left on the seat and they're like, that bike's not working right. And, and you're like, yeah, it is. And you're like, and they're thinking, no, your butt is like two inches over to the right. And when your butt's over there or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. that's when it's working. And they know exactly how you're positioned on that bike when that thing is absolutely hooked up. And then they're, and they know, crazy as it sounds, the little teeny changes to make to get your body back on to the right part of the bike. Hmm. And it's and it's like my dad used to tell me my dad used to tell me how to ride. Like you need to go here and there and I, and I used to think, dude, you don't ride. Yeah. When I was a kid, yeah. You don't ride. But growing up and watching more and more people ride I can teach them so much of watching them, regardless if I rode or not. Yeah. I can see how they're on the bike, how their bike's positioned, how their seats should be lower, higher. Yeah, right. So they can move around on the bike more. Yeah. And just from watching. You could you could you don't actually, have to be on it. Actually you watching them, you're actually riding it with them, right? Right. And you're feeling And they the, are. Yeah. And yeah, like Raf Raf might not have been the writer or whatever you are, but he sure knows a lot about watching you. And he's been with me a long time too, so he sees, right. he can see when I'm riding my best. And he also knows when he's made changes to the bike that you might not have known yeah. or convinced you. And the results, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and the results that came out of that, I know he's going, yeah, that was a good change. As you're, as you're racing, like, yeah, that, that was it. 
Yeah, that's probably right. You know what I mean? If you didn't want to tell me that they changed the motor completely right, and, right. Then, and then like you know what that's I mean? Not actually the same bike, so we're gonna swap. Right, it. because he doesn't want to tell you because it might piss you off. Yeah, right. Because why did you do that without me? Without yeah. telling me? That's right. But down the line, when he asks you, when hey, you want to change that, and you're like, no, he's thinking, oh, he's got, he's too attached to that bike. Right. I, yeah, right. Like, I, I, I can't, I can't do it without him knowing. You know, like I got to get him to agree to this one. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting, right? It's really interesting because so. then, you, then you're like, you can see how much they're playing with you and how much they're testing you, but they know when you're at your best. But then so. that's what, that's why, again, it's part of that whole, that whole combination that makes that all work. And, you know, some riders can be amazing mm -hmm. and never get that combination, so you never really see their true potential. Mm-hmm. And some riders have that combination that might not be half as good or three quarters as good as that, that other rider, but they figured it out and they got that combination and they'll be better than that rider ever was. So it's, you know. There's, a, there's so much to There's it. so much more to, so it, much than, to it than just, you know, like you hear certain people go, oh, you know what, that bike's so slow. Not really. Because, and you know, like, what they have yeah. and you're like no that's not it at all it might be actually too good or whatever no, so yeah that's i mean we could chat about like bench race for, forever but it's right but, but this is fascinating what, this is fascinating stuff but know. that's what makes this sport so dynamic and it and again the same thing with motocross and and the same thing with dirt track and it's just there's it's so complex even though it looks so simple and obviously, there's more simple. There's nothing more simple than a speedway bike. Absolutely like, not. It's like a bicycle with an engine, yeah. pretty much, it's right? No overgrown freaking beach cruiser. <laughs> but there is crazy little things you can do, right? A and lot of little things. To how you need it, and 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 just think of like you know like a motocross bike. How much you can change on that? Oh, like insane, right? The possibilities, and in in the combinations is 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 it's sick. endless so yeah i think it's i think uh that's what that's what gave me the drive is trying to figure it out and because it's i don't think you ever figure it out i think you always you come as close as you can and that's like such a challenge that that to me is is i don't know if it's i don't feel that i'm an engineer but it's sort of like the engineer in you, you know, you're always trying to figure out something that's better. And, you know, one of the, one of the people that I'll use Sam Romalenko, Sam, Sam was a, a fiddler and he fiddled with everything absolutely constantly because he was never, ever, ever satisfied if he was winning or not. A lot of people, and, and I'll put myself in that same boat that if it's not broke, don't, don't fix it mm -hmm. sometimes but he was I remember him changing shit all the time even in team races and you're just like dude yeah like you just you just won like three races by a mile leave that thing alone yeah it could be better but but it could be better and you know what that's one of the reasons he won world championship right you know I mean I hate to say it but that eventually that is going to get you to where 
I think that that helped him obviously immensely. It's like the this the this the um, seek everybody wants to know what's your secret. Well, it's like, don't you want to win? <laughs> like right. Well, that there's, how can you have a secret when you have that kind of a mentality? Your your secret is like, you're. I, w- I want to be better. I, I'm, I got to figure this out. I'm, I'm constantly testing. I just, I want to win, you know? And that's what you do. You, the day that you know everything, you're finished anyway, right? Yeah, because you'll never ever know anything, no. everything. Yeah, so you will be finished. Yeah. <laughs> you'll be done. Yeah. So it's like, you, a guy like that, you have to admire him. And I've been lucky to work with some of the, the people here too that, that um, you know, that, that I've worked with over the years. And, um, you know the Swedish guys too, who always said, uh, you, "They build me really good motors." I'm so stoked with them, and uh, it, I think this thing's awesome. I can't be any better than I am now. This thing's just the best. And you go out and you win two or three heats, and you come in and they got to change the cam timing in between heats, <laughs> and you're like, "What? Oh, going, ah, I can be better." And you're like, "But you, you know." And sometimes you went out there and it got even better, and sometimes it would break. And you'd come in, and this Bill Nielsen, he was the best. And you'd come in from the heat, and then come in, and it was broken, and wheel the thing in there, and he'd be kind of smile on his face, and he'd go, well, at least we know that didn't work. <laughs> and he just, That's awesome. It was the best. He was like, well, at least that wasn't worth trying again. <laughs> and like, you're like, oh, but then you go away from it going like, how can you be angry, upset, or not like that? Because that dude just, he just wants to be better. And sometimes we built, they built me some crazy stuff that was really hard to ride you probably had some of that yeah. stuff too that your dad or you guys and that together. was my dad he was oh. my my dad was never ever complacent oh ever 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 and it used to drive me insane i mean i would get i would get packages with another cam and you know put this one in and try this at this track at this cam timing dad like i just got a couple maximums there or whatever yeah, but this I think you're gonna really you know, and and in theory because he can hear and, his, yeah hear the gears turning yeah and he just but but that's what makes those engine tuners those staying ahead of the Penske's of the world that's what make them those people special because they're never complacent there's always something better right Same I mean that's what makes those people. The Shelby's of the world, and all of that. Yeah, you know, so many people have seen that Ford versus Ferrari, and it, that's what makes those people special. Dude. Is they just their their minds their minds are are wired different. Yeah. You know, and uh, the drive to 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 be the best and or to to strive for the best again because nothing's ever the best. No. Because there's always something better. Always, always, and we're we're saying we're talking about the equipment now, and, yeah, and uh, that also includes ourselves, right? Oh, hundred percent. So you can you can always be better and, and more flexible, more quick on the reaction, more more smart in your moves, and more clever, or just more like clever, or I don't know, you know the well, word. You just have to be you have to be confident. You have to know how to deal with your nerves, like you said, being. St- feeling sick before a race or feeling like you're going to pass out or feeling like nothing yeah. if you don't if you're not yawning before a race or you haven't got to run to the bathroom or you're not feeling sick 
you probably shouldn't even start the race because your adrenaline's not pumping. You're not focused. You're not ready right. to go racing. Yeah. And you know, it's, and talk about yourself is I look back at some of my horrific crashes mm-hmm. or some other crashes and I contribute a lot of it looking back at it now mm-hmm. is not being flexible enough. I truly believe, because I'm the most unlimber person in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I can't touch my toes at all, not even close. And I think if I would have concentrated more, because obviously I was into strength training and, 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 and cardio, and I prided myself on if, if a team manager wanted me to ride four races in a row, not a problem. Where I've seen people on, on my team that they put them in for a tactical substitute and they're like, no, I can't go in because I have to race my other ride oh. after it. And you're like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. This is what you do for a prof- your, this, your profession. Yeah. And you can't do more than two races in a row. Mm-hmm. It drove me crazy. Yeah. Never said no to a second race. Second, third, fourth. Third, fourth but I yeah. felt Three, like four races but, in a row. But I could ride the fourth one as hard as I rode the first one. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, you've seen the same thing. But I never concentrated on flexibility. I always thought about it, and I always thought I should. And I truly believe that some of my crashes were because I wasn't flexible enough. I couldn't get to where I needed to be on the bike to stop it from happening. Isn't that crazy? It's, but it's, I can totally But you know what I'm saying? You need to be flexible on a speeder bike because we're... Right, and I wasn't. And I think there was some of the times, like I said, when I clipped the guy's rear wheel or or whatever it may be, if I could have leaned off of it more or if I could have, I think I could have, I think I could have stopped that. And, and, And how I didn't figure that out my whole career is beyond me. And look at all the guys now. I mean, doing yoga, right? The motocross guys and all right. the stuff they're doing. I mean, obviously they're doing strength training, but they're doing some 3D training and then they're doing lots of stretching. And yoga seems to be in virtually every one of these guys' programs now. And, and what do they say? It doesn't matter how much cardio you have. It doesn't matter how strong you have it, or strong you are. It's everything. Mm-hmm. You've got to be flexible. You gotta have strength. You gotta have cardio. Um, like they were talking about the motocross guys. Like I don't care how many miles you put in on a bicycle. Mm-hmm. Like, can you touch your toes? Or can you do this? Can you do that? No. Well, you know what? Let's do some less less miles on the bike and get to do that. Or can you bench press your own weight? No. Okay. Well, maybe we need to think about doing less of this and less of that because the more rounded you are. The better physical overall physical shape you are, and uh, and I I definitely was was that person that was you know Gold's Gym was my major one of my major sponsors so obviously that's like you know bodybuilding yeah. and then I got involved with that and they're not the most flexible cats in the world no for sure right yeah. you know they, yeah. they, they can't yeah. even yeah they can't even touch their their earlobes sometimes <laughs> they get a fruit in their mouth right <laughs> so but I mean. And I enjoyed that, and 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 cardio. I ran, and but yeah, I I uh, 
it sucks that I didn't have a trainer in my corner, you know? Yeah, looking back on it now, it's like to, but training might have been a little bit different back then too. Maybe they didn't look at it in the same way. Of course, you could be more flexible anyway, but still, right. I mean, things have evolved so much. I mean, like I said, yoga is everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it's, and I try to do, I mean, obviously, no, we've couple, talked, couple, we've been, we've been couple weeks ago, we talked about yeah. that, yeah. and I've been like trying to do that to help me sleep and some other stuff, and it's like, oh. Dude, it still takes time to touch your toes. Oh. Like, really touch your toes. And then I watched, God, I wouldn't know. Jenny. I'm trying. <laughs> and I watched Jenny bend I'm over still, like, puts her hands flat oh, on the I know. floor, too. And I'm like, what? Come on. Yeah. So she's... And then they lean back. And, oh, yeah. She has reverse tables and all that stuff. But, it, uh, yeah, so it... it uh, yeah, Interesting. It is. It's very interesting. And I'll tell you what. We have been talking for a long time. <laughs> and I knew this was going to happen. Yeah. And I tried to set myself a time limit. We've gone way over it. Oh, okay. But I would love to have this in the a part. The part two? A part two. I bet this could be part three and part four. <laughs> because, and because, there's so, you can't describe your life and your journey in an hour, you know? Yeah, I mean, could we get, yeah. we get like on a tangent and start just chatting? Dude, and this about is it, interesting. Me and you. Yeah, people might, some might really be into this, and some are just going to go, oh, how boring, right? Right, right. But we don't care. We're talking. You don't have to listen. <laughs> <laughs> but it, for me, when you get deep into all this stuff, you know, obviously our relationship is one thing, and how much you did for me to get started, and where we are today, and like what you're doing for me right now, too, you know, just just everything to re motivate me and, and get me going again, you know, because I've been kind of all over the place. I'm super grateful, but. Looking at this and then all the stuff we've been talking about for the American team, you've been working hard with the American team the last couple of years, you and Steve Evans. Yeah, and, and, and before before we we cut off volume one here, um, <laughs> I do want to to say that, that I think there's I, I think there's a bright future for our team. I know that we've been talking about a few things that we can't sort we can't announce mm-hmm. now. And if it and if it comes to fruition, I think it's going to be pretty cool, and I'm excited about it. And I know you're excited about it. And um, one of the things that, the first thing that came to mind when you retired is, obviously, I want to get you more involved. You, without anybody knowing this, you've been very involved with the team, even though you haven't been there, with me. A lot of the stuff that I've been able to do with the team was because of your help. And I don't think the fans know that. But so you've been involved in the, the sidelines doing this whole thing. And I think that now that you're retired, I think we're going to sort of one day do this together. And um, so I think it should be exciting for the younger riders. And, and we're going to, going to uh, encourage some other younger riders to possibly get more involved and 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 there's some again volume two and three we can go more into it but yeah i think there i think if there is any young riders out there that are american that there's something cool to look forward to with without a doubt yeah without a doubt looking at that long term with the american team and there's a lot of stuff that we could talk about with guys like luke becker and brock nickel and what they got going on and then even uh, and, and you know, I think they're already in that that stage now. But there, there's ones that that are obviously a couple steps behind them. Yeah. That Showing we're really gonna signs, right? we're gonna start bringing them up, and and uh, yeah, I'm yeah. A, it's revitalized me for sure. 
Oh, yeah, you can hear that. I mean, over the years, too, I mean, there's, like, yeah, we can go into volume two. We yeah. can talk about, uh, you know, I, I still couldn't figure out why the heck you wanted to get back involved in Speedway, but uh, maybe we should elaborate on that. Yeah, one. we'll talk about that in the next, in one. The next <laughs> one. And besides that, I also want, people don't know about you being a movie producer either. Oh, so, so you, oh, you want to talk about that, huh? Yeah. Okay. There's a lot about Lance King that many people don't know, and I, I have a lot of good questions from different sources that uh, we never really even touched on, but uh, like I said, volume one I knew was going to be interesting, so... Lance, thank you, Greg. Thank you, dude, and thank you guys for listening to the Real Forty Five podcast. This is uh, this is us checking out from Chicago, Chicago, and uh, heading back home tomorrow. Peace out, everybody. Thanks, Lance. You got it. Bye.